Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hello and welcome to the Coltum Collective Podcast Show Zero. Yes, it's zero hour. And with me, by my side, my constant companion and wine drinker, Mr. Dave AC. I am? No, no, no. Oh, he's after a good start already. <laughs> I was in mid-sip with you, right? Mid-sip. Now, professional, guys, professional. Serious, too. This is well nobody's listening, Welcome but never mind. Well, all the calls are now. In fact, I'm probably bored half the Dave nation AC with these little. Uh, and the sixth We are coming. We are coming. We are coming. I've never seen you under so many disguises, Dave. Although the latest one's a little bear, if you ask me. You trying to compete with Kevin Jack? You're so boring, the nation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to five years of the Coltum Collective podcast. And uh, he's been with me for five years. He's been here for every show, I think. He's an attendance junkie. It's Mr. Dave AC. Yeah, and how much have we learned in five years? Ian, how much have we learned in five years? <laughs> uh, um, nothing. <laughs> Toastmasters start at 2, starts at 2.30 2, on the dot. <laughs> Alrighty, uh, there's still audio problems and everything, yeah. <laughs> but yes, it's uh, our fifth anniversary. Who would have thought it, it would last this long and that Dave would still be alive? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Well, before we uh, see who is... Uh, before we uh, see who's joining us today, let's see who's joined us in the past. Sit the Wayback Machine for way back when. Let's crack open the collective and see who's in there. Hello, Charlie P79. Ah, hi guys. Hello, Mr. Benjamin Elliott, Mr. This Week and Doctor Who. Hello. Hello, Romana. Hello, boys. <laughs> Uh, in the room. How is everybody? I'm glad to actually make it two weeks running. <laughs> I am the sixth doctor, and joining me is Mr. Dave AC. Hello, Dave. Hi, Ian. No clever remarks today, because uh, we've been chatting for about 20 minutes. <laughs> I know, and we've been all clever uh, earlier, so it's stupid from here on in. Also joining us on audio today, the lovely Howley T. Hello, Howley. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Also joining us is Sister Randall Four. Hello, sir. Hello, Ian. How are you today? Very good. I think I've been in the catnip again. Here's a man from the future. He's on the run. It's Logan from Logan's Run. <laughs> See what I did there? That was lovely. And hello, guys. I had to get out of my hot tub time machine just to come in for the show here. All right. If you will unmute that certain little uh, jumpy ghost face. Joining us 
And a couple of rooms down from me, it's Mr. Jumpy Ghostface. Hello, Liam. You big moment. <laughs> He's on a delay. Hello. There we go. Hi. See, there we got there. <laughs> Definitely worth waiting for. <laughs> and apologies to those people who are here that didn't get included. That I um, the golf came in between me and the rest of it. Uh, but I should just say in. Uh, is it surprising that the only person that was on that recording that still comes here is, well, Logan, of course, but he's changed his show now to the Media Outsiders. And did you hear a very polite young man, a very well-spoken young man, uh, Randall, what was he called, Mike, something or other? I don't know what happened to him. <laughs> yes. Well, I think, I, know, I think I started hosting a trivia show or something. Well, yeah, the, the thing is, if I'd included if I'd included everybody, uh, that would have run for at least ten minutes. So apologies if you your name didn't get mentioned there, but uh, uh, hopefully it was slightly amusing. More about who's, who's no longer here, I guess. Than, <laughs> where are you all? Come back. <laughs> yeah, it was a plea to get them back. Actually, yeah, I remember when I was on that show. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's see who actually is here in the present. Joining us, as always, Mr. Dar Skeptical. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. How are you? Good, 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 good. Glad you could make it in the present. <laughs> I miss oh, those drums you. he used to play. Captain Scarlet ones, were they? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> also joining us on audio, the third wheel. <laughs> Mr. Randall Thor. Hello, Mike. Hello, and I'm still the sober cab, the designated driver for the commentaries. Hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. Also joining us on audio, Rick Wall is here. Hello, Rick. Hello. Make it. Short and sweet. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Lucy has been dragged off by the Russians, yeah. <laughs> And joining us live via uh, phone device, it's Mr. Cuddly again. Hi, Ian. Hi, Dave. I think you guys are looking five years younger. Did you go back in time? Oh, I like this man. I like, we'll keep no, this like one. He's a, he's a keeper. I think yeah. it's I think it's that DeLorean that you put into the shape of a phone box. Yep, there you go. <laughs> All right. Let's everybody above ground. Uh, let's see who's underneath the cone of silence. Controls, new agent training program, section 3.5, the cone of silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse. Oh, you didn't overuse it. It just disappeared. What? <laughs> the cone of silence. That's right. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable cone of silence. What? What? The, uh, the, the talk in the, the room, mate. What, I went out again. <laughs> yeah, I think you better give that TARDIS console a thump. <laughs> <laughs> give you a thump in a minute. <laughs> anyway, people who I won't be giving a thump to, under the code of silence. Oh, that mysterious barman 54. I wonder if he uh, mixes any good drinks. <laughs> uh, Cybob is here, of course, keeping the rebel in check. Uh, guest 10 and guest 11 are here. And it's a welcome back to Willis Girl. Yay! 
And she pleads yep. the fifth as well. Uh, uh, this one other person I'd like to mention, but this person will not hear this audio for about six months here because it's Dan Rook, I think that's his surname, sent me a message on Facebook to say uh, he's uh, started listening to the podcast. He's working his way <laughs> from the very first episode. Don't know whether he'll make it this far. He might give up. He's only on episode 19 at the moment, so he's got uh, nearly a um, 440 episodes to get through. So um, uh, somewhere around Christmas, he'll probably hear me saying his name. So, Dan, <laughs> if you made it this far, well done, guy. Well done. Congratulations. A round of applause for Dan if he made it this far. <laughs> now a word of advice. Run. Run fast. And don't yeah. look back. <laughs> oh, dear. And everybody knows there's no point on running from this, gentlemen. It's our very own Typing Monkey. It's news time. Go, Typing Monkey, go! Still played by the same monkey. Yep, he's five years old today. <laughs> All right. First up with news, Mr. Dark Skeptical. Oh, wow, you surprised me. I didn't think that I was going to be first up with news, but here we are then. The other person with news. Okay, then. Uh, well, let's see. This week is coming up. Uh, sees the launch, really, of um, the new Titan Comics line of Doctor Who Comics. Uh, the, uh, I, I, forget the uh, I forget the exact dates, but I, I think that tomorrow... July, July 26th. July 26th. Oh, that's Comics Day, isn't it? Sorry. Well, yeah, that's their big sort of launch. But then the thing is that the Tenth Doctor series and the Eleventh Doctor series are not coming out on exactly the same day. They're coming out a week apart. So my guess is 26 is... Well, that's quite a long way for a way. Uh, it should be on a Tuesday for a comic state. But anyway, whatever. This next week, you will you'll finally see the launch of the, the new Titan comic strip. Uh, well, not strip, but series. And if you're interested in Dark Shoe Comics, that's probably going to be a good thing for you to check out. There's also, they, effectively, uh, Titan Comics is the only um, thing having to do with Doctor Who that is at least scheduled to happen at San Diego Comic Cons because, of course, as we discussed last week, um, Doctor Who is still in principal photography. So what are you going to do? Um, so that'll be interesting to take a look at uh, in the world outside of Doctor Who. Of course, uh, this last week finally showed us uh, Warner Brothers' plans for uh, their monster series, um, which is to say the... Uh, did I say Warner Brothers? I think I mean Universal, don't I? Universal. Um, uh, the, um, you know, um, the way that they co-opted... I still don't quite understand how they managed to do this, but whatever. How they co-opted... Um, essentially, I think at the time they must have been in... Um, Public domain, I guess. You know, the characters of Dracula, Frankenstein, um, Wolfman, and what, Creature from the Black Lagoon, I guess. Um, well, I, I think it's the their versions. No, those version is, I suppose, but still, it's kind of whatever. I guess it's like, it's more or less like Stephen Moffat trying to claim the Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock as his intellectual property, which I guess it is, but it's pretty hard to operationalize. But somehow, Universal um, has managed to do it in a way that certainly is offering them more money than Moffat could ever realize out of the 
the Sherlock stuff. So whatever, they're relaunching it. Uh, but the interesting thing here, I suppose, is that um, well, what we learned this week is that they're going to start with the Mummy, um, which is an interesting one to lead off with. I'm not quite sure why they're doing that, but anyway, they're going to do that, and then they're going to do individual films of the four big ones. I guess I'm wrong in saying Creature from the Black Lagoon is actually going to be a part of this, even though that is a universal monster. I think it's just Mummy, Wolfman, Dracula, Frankenstein. So they're going to have four movies, right? And then, uh, you know, they're eventually going to have, I suppose, by about 2020 or somewhere in that range, a movie that combines them all together um, in a sort of... reverse Avengers, I guess, because they're really kind of enemies, aren't they? Um, so whatever. That's It's interesting if you're at all a fan of, I suppose, classic... Is it classic horror, or is it just kitschy horror? I'm not really sure. Whatever. Classic. If you're a fan of, classic. Uh, I suppose, in a vague sort of sense. Old. Let's put it that way. Old. In the same way that, you know, Doctor Who from the past is not classic. It's merely old. Um, so, you know, that's, I suppose, a little bit interesting. And in our wheelhouse. If, if I could add on that, it, it yeah, was mentioned that the creature would be involved because oh, they, okay, because in, in the Variety article, um, I mean they were discussing revamps. I mean there still was a branding with with the Stephen Summer Mummy movies, and they tried it in their in their own misstep way with Van Helsing. Mm-hmm. Um, with you, Jackman, because that had uh, Dracula and a, and the mo- Frankenstein's a monster, and it had uh, Hyde in there. So they that was a misstep and a failure for being a hit. So this is their um, you know let's do it and follow the Marvel template because before Stephen Summers did the Indiana Jones attitude with the Mummy, it was going to be a serious and a, and a horror uh, um, aspect. And they have done a, a remake of The Wolfman. They have done that, too, since then. So, But this is their big, like, official rollout. They've been doing uh, small steps and still holding uh, copyrights onto, well, they have a branding, the Universal Monsters, so, and, and the imagery is of, you know, the Wolfman, the Cheney Wolfman, the Lugosi Dracula, um, Karloff, uh, Mummy, etc., etc. Yeah, but I see what I have never understood about that property is that it seems like it's tied to those actors. So how can you do a remake if you don't have those actors? I don't really understand where the intellectual property is. Uh, not yeah, that's a weird actors. thing. It's yeah, like you can weird. you can do Phantom of the Opera. You can have several mm-hmm. studios doing it, but mm-hmm. doing the Cheney look. That's going to be something copyrighted universal. Oh, so they they own copyright to the makeup style. I mean, makeup style that I mean, it, it, when they did the mummy, when Hammer did the mummy, well, well, Horror of Dracula, they changed the name for U.S. release, so there was no confusion. But when they did the mummy film, it was released by Universal because they had aspects of the universal script, you know, into it. They, they kind of shook hands with universal for release on that. And they, they made buddies on that whole thing, but they had to be very careful when they did Dracula 
and also when they did uh, Curse of the Werewolf with Oliver Reed, that it didn't look like Jack Pierce's makeup, you know, for the Wolfman. So there was kind of a skating around that. You know, it it is weird on, on the whole thing with properties because I mean Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, either that's public domain, or or they have to uh, do some kind of you know uh, tithing to the to the Shelley estates, but you can do whatever version of Frankenstein's creature you want, you know, as long as it doesn't look square-headed with bolts. You know, that's the thing. You know, Penny Dreadful has, uh, you know, Frankenstein's creature in it, and they, they're not uh, paying a farthing to, uh, to Universal on that. But, but I mean, if, if you have a Colin Clive kind of doctor, and he has that look of Karloff, it's a whole different matter. Well, they 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 want to uh, they want to get the action figures sold. That's what they want to do. You know, you and me both know they want to sell those new action figures and uh, creature sets. And uh, when that when that uh, you know house House of Horror or Mon- Monster Squad type movie, you know, brings them all together. And those of us in the business still consider it classic, not kitschy like fans do. Oh. It is <laughs> we, we love. But it, 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 uh, you view it. I, I love those movies. It, it's my well, heart. Well, Darth kind of said, or kitschy. So. Well, that, 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 well that, 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 that is true. I assume people in the business or you. Let's be clear here and fair. People in the business because <laughs> I, have, I have contact. <laughs> oh, is that, is that right, breaking up. Very loud. Uh, yeah. So you represent all these people in the business, do you? Quite a few. By their consent, you're here to give their opinion. Is that is that it? No. I think he means in the horror genre. Ah. Uh-huh. All right. And there we go. Okay. As um. Before we talk about the the the, the other news, is it, have you got any other different news items? Because there's one that I've just remembered that we didn't cover, I think, last week. And while perhaps you take your breath, let me just mention it now. Um, that is for those fans of people who go to Doctor Who events. Um, there's been the news that the uh, the Sci-Fi Sea Cruise, uh, the Florida uh, Doctor Who cruise, is uh, ending after a run of 25 years. The organiser, Dan Harris, will not be arranging any more cruises, at least for the foreseeable future. Uh, something to do with the travel agency that they used to organise, and he doesn't want to set uh, a new uh, relationship up. So over the years, 18 voyages have been organised, drawing such guests as Sylvester McCoy, Fraser Hines, Callan Ford, uh, with writers' workshops, uh, fan audio and video workshops uh, on board. So... Um, that's um, the, the last of those. After 18 fantastic voyages spread across 25 years, we're very strange not to be looking forward to our next trip together. And I saw some pictures that Fraser Hines had put up on his Facebook page only recently. Uh, looked as though they had a very good time. I think Colin Spall was on uh, one of them with him, uh, Ian, so uh, they must have uh, had a good time. Um, so. Yeah, unfortunately, the... Uh, the, the, the um the travel agency that he did all the all the business with to, to 
um, sort these things out. As you might imagine, there's a lot that goes into organizing um, a convention, basically on a on a, on a, on a cruise ship. Uh, unfortunately, they have gone out of business, um, and you know, trying to find out find somebody who will you know to help you out with with something like that. You know, it'd be a difficult process. So he's decided for the moment, at least, um, that he's decided to hang it up. Which is a shame. Yeah. But, um, yeah, to get all new contacts would be quite hard work, I would have thought. Thanks to Dan for for all his uh, work over the years to, to, to set this up. I know I've never managed to make it myself, but uh, from seeing pictures and that from, from the Sci-Fi Sea Cruise, uh, looks like everybody had a, 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 a splendid time. Indeed. Um, okay, have we... Go on no, 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 no. I was no, just going to say... No, not you. Not you. <laughs> you see, you see, how we've refined our art over five years. It just runs like smooth as ice, smooth as glass. I mean, you can hardly see the feet pedalling under the table. Um, now, I was just going to ask if there was any other news before we got on to the, uh, the item that we were going to go into some detail about uh, the sad news. So, um, back to you, in. Well, actually, why don't you do that, because I'm trying to find the, the article I was going to mention, and I've lost it, so... Well, that... Okay, well, if um, if, if Darth's ready, then, we'll... Um, uh, what we should say is that uh, there's been some sad news of a, um, a, a an actor uh, from the United States, James Garner, uh, who has sadly passed away um, just uh, on July the 19th, um, in his early 70s I think was he no he must have been older than that must have been 80s born in um, 19, uh, 1928 um, so we're going to have a, a little look back and Darth's going to mention a few things but to just bookend uh, the things that Darth is going to mention I'm just going to uh, play um, a couple of uh, uh, themes from well-known uh, TV series that he was in and the one I'm going to do to start off is just over a minute, Darth, and it's the Maverick theme. Who is the tall, dark stranger there? Maverick is the name. Riding the trail to who knows where. Luck is his companion. Gambling is his game. Smooth as a handle on a gun. Maverick is the name. Wild as the wind in Oregon, blowing up a canyon, easier to tame. Riverboat, ring your bell, fairly well and a bell. Lucky lady that he loves the best. Next to New Orleans, living on Jackson, Queens. Maverick is a legend of the West. Riverboat, ring your bell, fairly well. And that ran for five seasons, 124 episodes, so I'm not sure whether, I'm sure... Uh, Darth can tell me whether that was the same theme they used all the way through or not. Why would I be able to tell you that? I have no idea. Um, well, I thought you were a big James Gardner fan. 
Well, right? but don't forget, this is a a, um, a a series that is somewhat victim to wiping. Uh huh. I don't. I don't think it entirely exists. Uh, it sounds like the theme I've heard before, but I don't really know. Plus, you know, uh, the, he left after the third season, and at that point, um, you know, there wasn't much reason for me to watch it. I don't know. Uh, and well, then, I, it's not. It's not a show that has actually been widely um, rerun in the United States. Um, it, it was made famous again, of course, by the Mel Gibson movie, in which he was also a co-star. But um, I don't I don't claim to know everything about Maverick or have seen even many of the episodes. I've seen a few, um, and it's you know vintage sort of James Garner stuff uh, or Roger Moore because Roger Moore replaced him essentially. Oh, yeah. For a little bit. For a little bit. Um, but I I don't know all that much about Maverick, and I don't think many people alive today do really. Um. But the important thing um, that I kind of wanted to linger on, and, and you kind of built up more than what I intended to do here, um, is to talk about his time on Maverick because it's it's crucial to um, – I think it speaks volumes about the guy. Um, James Garner was a um, a social activist. He was a guy who, who participated in, um, you know, um, the – like Selma marches, the the civil rights marches of the day. He was not at all afraid to be associated with that. He he was definitely present for the "I Have a Dream" speech in Washington by Martin Luther King. And um, you know, at one point, it seemed like he might have been lined up to be um, the Democratic candidate for governor of California in much the same way that sort of Ronald Reagan had been the Republican governor of. Um, that state uh, that never happened. Although it was always sort of swirling around that maybe he would he would do something politically. In the end, he just sort of um, helped out a lot of political causes. But I, I think he had a seminal moment, and, and, and you know, because some of his Mavericks work is lost, because we've become a little bit inured to the commonplace availability of Rockford. The thing that you might not know about him is that he was important to um, pushing back against the Warner Brothers studio system, which you know we mainly think of as ha- having been important to film, but it also very much applied to television. And Warner Brothers in the early days, after they were having success with their uh, westerns, Rawhide and well, eventually Mavericks as well, um, you know, was not the greatest place in the world to work for. They were treating their people like cattle. Um, they would take people who were um, kind of at the recurring guest star level. They would give them their own series, but they wouldn't give them any more money, which is kind of ridiculous. Um, and eventually things came to a head with the 1960 Writers Guild strike, which, you know, happens at about the season three level of Mavericks, right? And it becomes the proximate cause for why he leaves Mavericks. And at that time, there was a clause in the contract that said, essentially, if it, if through no fault of uh, Warner Brothers' own, they cannot produce the series, then they have no obligation to honor the contract uh, that may exist on a particular star. And what what... Warner Brothers was doing at the time was just simply awful. I mean, really. It wasn't just Warner Brothers. 
but it is particularly and most egregiously Warner's brothers um, who were taking, who were continuing production with Maverick, even though they had a writer's guild strike. And what they were doing was they were grabbing old scripts, mostly from Mavericks, but also from uh, some other shows that they had, you know, previously just saying, well, it's Western, so we can just do anything we want to. And they were just recycling them, pure and simple recycling them, so that they were essentially breaking the Writers Guild strike. Um, and they were also continuing production, but then able to say, because the, you know, we don't have the writers in, because there's a strike, we're not going to pay you. And Garner said, that's ridiculous. Um, and so it took them to court. And there's, a, you know, a very famous. Um, lawsuit that he filed against them that has become um, sort of in in entertainment law it's become kind of important and and the the main result of it is you know Warner Brothers you can't do that uh, and, and the upshot also is something that we experienced even as late as oh, what year was that the 2007 writers strike I guess of the guild uh, in which you know, it basically didn't pay Warner Brothers or any other production company to cross the picket line and reuse old scripts. Um, so basically now when a writer's guild strike does happen, um, it does in fact cripple the production. It does in fact prevent them from using scripts that they might have already had and defines better what the effect of a, a strike is. Um, I think a lot of people don't quite know that, but they know that maybe they know that James Garner left um, Mavericks, but they might have thought he left in order to then go on to, um, you know, a better film career. Because certainly, um, you know, this is what, 60, 61, where this happens, and he leaves Mavericks, and then, you know, by 63, he's in a couple of movies with Doris Day, um, and he has a pretty good 1960s, really, because he's all in films during that period. And from, uh, and and then, you know, it wanes a little bit in the 70s, which is why he goes back into Rockford Files, and then when he gets out of Rockford Files, largely, actually, because of ill health, in a way, because he, he, he does so much practical um, stunt work, really. He throws out his back, and so he's not really able to continue on in, in Rockford yeah. without it looking kind of r ridiculous. Um, but then he goes right back, and you know he has a sort of a second film career in the 80s and 90s, and even you know early 2000s, I would say. He's still quite... 2011, um, I believe, was his last film. Yeah, but he's not really that active in the latter part of the 2000s. I think, you know, he's doing a film a year or two up until about, I don't know, 2007, 2006, somewhere mid-2000. Um, so, I mean, obviously a great career. But to, to, to me, the thing that is important is, you know, at a time where, yes, his career was on the rise, yes, he was an important star, but, he, you know, it's that, that cusp in a lot of actors' lives where, they're starting to get some notoriety, but if they rock the boat, it might totally upset their career. Kind of like, oh, who's that guy off of uh, Caruso? What's his name? Uh, from, um, oh, I don't even remember the show. But anyway, there, there are a number of different actors who, you know, in the start of a television series on which they're popular will say, you know, I think I can make it as a film actor or I don't really need this job. And they leave it, and their career stalls, really, because they aren't actually 
bigger than the television show that they were on. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was no guarantee. I mean, yes, Garner had done a few films, a few films by the time that he leaves Mavericks, but there, there was no real um, guarantee that he was going to continue to be successful. And he, he decides, you know, I'm going to fight this on principle because these guys are treating us like crap. And I, you know, I've always kind of admired him for that. Uh, in addition to the fact that he has a very easy acting style, that he clearly is a popular person, uh, especially among you know high-powered leading ladies, because he keep you know he gets to make not just one but two films with Doris Day. Um, he gets to make a couple of films with Julie Andrews. Uh, you know, clearly uh, has rapport even as he's you know in his sixties, more or less, I guess, or at least 50, late fifties with. Sally Field, for which he gets a Oscar nomination for what? Um, what is I think called the? Um, always lost. I've lost my mind. Murphy's Romance, um, and you know, largely this 1985, is a guy. Nineteen eighty-five. Yeah. 1985. Yeah, sure. Largely, this is a guy that we're um, you know associating with westerns and stuff, and so therefore this show doesn't particularly cover him that much, but. It, Really, I think it's more that he was one of act, uh, America's great comic actors. His timing is almost always just absolutely impeccable. And he takes scripts that are fairly mundane. You see this all the time in Rockford Files. Um, you know, very ordinary writing in a lot of, in a lot of um, episodes, especially as that show starts to age. And he's still able to take lines that are you know, not the best in the world and make you want to still watch the show um, because he's he's just got that sort of easy charm. Um, so uh, to me, this is a, one of the greater losses that we've had in the past few years at least. And it's, it's kind of a sad day for, our, I think, American film. Yeah, just to, just while you pause and get your breath there, I mean, it ended in 62, although you said he he left before then. In 63, right. he was in The Great Escape. Um, and then, um, actually, his big films seemed to come a few years after that. In fact, uh, one of his films is on here in the UK today, although I think it was already scheduled before this news came out, Grand Prix uh, Racing Driver, one with Eva Marie Saint. But... Um, uh, the the main ones was is the like you said the comedy that's that developed with the uh, sixty nine support your local sheriff I think uh, and then oh, support no, your local gunfighter. But he's in comedies quite before that. Um, is he right? I mean, well, I mean sixty three is a particularly good year for him because he has four films come out in sixty three, um, right. which is. You know, how many actors can say that they have four films out in a single year? Of course, it's different age now, and it takes a lot longer to produce movies, and there are fewer movies being made and all that stuff. But still, right. even for the time to have three, I mean, to have four films come out in 63, that's pretty good stuff. Um, yeah. The last film so, I saw him in, by the way, and he was still acting well uh, in Space Cowboys with uh, Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Now, that was 2000. Although, you, 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 uh, as both Rick Wall and you say, he did a few films after that. But, um, yeah. you know, um, that was the, the last one I remember, actually, of his seeing and enjoying. I actually quite like Space Cowboys. Um, had a good uh, little cast in there. A bit offbeat, but uh, nonetheless. 
Uh, anybody else mm-hmm. want to, before we perhaps talk a little bit about his time on uh, the Rockford Files, anybody want to uh, have uh, any thoughts put out there? Ken or anybody? Yeah, I, I agree totally that um, it was his political uh, attitude really moved me over the years because he always put himself out there where he didn't have to. You know, he could have had the cushy Hollywood life, and he was and he was right there, the Freedom March, right there in the trenches. And his movies also, he took choices that were quirky. Americanization of Emily isn't your regular type of romantic comedy. Um, he went on, he'll do a Western, Hour of the Gun, which is doing a negative attitude and a, and a, um, a retro uh, fit on the um, gunfight at OK Corral. Um, it had made a very cynical film and... Um, his Wyatt Earp is is not the hero in, in this film, and then he'll go out on a limb and do a romantic comedy, very quirky. Um, Victor Victoria, you know, team up again with, um, you know. Oh yes, um, Julie Andrews. With Julie Andrews. Julie Andrews, yeah. And it's yeah. wonderful. It's like that romantic, and it's like, and it and it goes into gender issues, and there's a quirkiness and a fun to that film. And he gets away with it because he has that stalwart image, but he's always kind of poking fun of, at the kind of regular, rugged uh, American man image with a wink in his eye. So, so he's not afraid to like go out of the box there in his roles, and and you embrace him for it. There, there, there is a uh, a cre- creativity and a fun and a and a kind of a wickedness to him. And and he draws you in, and then when he when he plays the hero, you just embrace it all the more, like in Great Escape. You know, everybody loves that film. But I, I especially like him uh, for his film roles. Uh, you know, not well, I watched Maverick, but I was never that big into that one of the westerns, the card playing gambler western. It was kind of, you know, kind of about stings and swindles and things. But his, his movie roles I love. I especially like Hour of the Gun because Gunfight at OK Corral, even though it had Burt Lancaster and Kirk Douglas, was, was a pretty tame movie. You know, pretty stalwart everything. And then it was, this was Hour of the Gun was made 10 years later. Same director, but going into the, um, John Sturgis, going into the same territory. But having a James Garner as uh, Wyatt Earp, I, I think was a brilliant casting point. Yeah, really neat. Yeah, I mean, uh, there were some other good actors there. I mean, I've, I've just noticed that um, Roger, Roger Moore, very similar age, was born in 27, and Jack Kelly was born in 1927. Uh, so all similar age. Uh, and I suppose they, uh, quite rightly, Darth made a comment about the... Uh, the way these stars were treated, but uh, they seem to have a way of producing a stable of stars. I mean, you could all, you'd almost say that Roger Moore, I, I, I was looking at Roger Moore's age, thinking, well, actually, Roger Moore really has, has tried to mould himself on James Gar- Garner in some ways. He 
try to to take that affable, you know, uh, leading man with that doesn't take himself too seriously. Okay, let me play the theme from the Rockford Files and see if Daph wants to make any more comments on that or indeed anyone else. And thank you, Cybob. Cybob put uh, uh, Maverick is on Cozy TV weeknights and uh, Saturdays in America. So if you have that channel available to you. So do you want to comment any more? Are you, are you coming in? Do you, want, do you want to actually talk about the Rockford Files somewhat or, or not, Darth? And I'll see if anybody else wants to speak. I mean, uh, it's... I think it's probably the thing for which most people know him. I, I think at this point, Maverick has kind of um, faded a little bit. Um, not only because it um, it didn't really star him that much, but because uh, I, I still don't think that that much of it um, survives in the first place. And then, um, you, you know, the way that they were filming Maverick was, and the reason I keep calling it Maverick, plural Mavericks is because uh, they added other Maverick brothers so as to have, you know, second unit photography available. So they would have whole episodes that didn't really have him in it. They hadn't said Brett or whoever else was the Maverick of the week kind of. Um, So I'm not, I'm not entirely sure how much people remember uh, Maverick. So that's why I think, you know, it's really Rockford Files because Rockford Files you can find anywhere in America. It's been on syndication forever. Um, I I don't know. I mean, the important thing about Rockford Files, you're going to draw a line, is that it's uh, co-created by the same guy who created Maverick, so you can see why he would use Jim Garner again. And, of course, you know, this is a legacy, really, of Garner's um, stance in the during the um, Writers Guild strike of 1960. Um, he obviously takes a position that Roy Huggins, who's the co-creator of Rockford, would have found palatable, you know, and would have said, great, this guy's sticking up for me and my interest and doing things that help the cause of the WGA. And so, therefore, next time I get a show or get the opportunity to pitch a show, I'm going to say it must have James Garner in it. And that, I think, is pretty much what happened. I don't think there was ever any cho- any question but that um, – 
Garner was going to be Jim Rockford. And so he probably didn't even have to, you know, I'm sure he didn't have to screen test for it or anything. Um, it, it, it was a great show. I mean, it, interesting because you had this, this run of, um, you know, essentially it is a cop show, even though he's not a cop, he's sort of like, like, um, Magnum, he's sort of a PI, but still it's in that same basic genre. Um, it's, it it ha- it is important in its own. I'm not sure, though. You know, aside from the way in which he gets the show, I'm not sure it really. Um, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I don't know if it's that important to his overall career because he's got so much else in the career. You know, it's it's one of those things that, oh, you know, let me do this for a few years and I'll get some money off of it. And, yeah, I'll get some – I'm sure it's probably the one thing that pays him and now his estate the most money because of how much it's rerun. Um, but, I, I, honestly, I think that Jim Carner was one of those actors who was able to completely do, you know, a couple of television series and never once was there a thought that he was typecast. Just, I mean, it just never occurred to you that he was in any way typecast. I mean, okay, maybe slightly as a, a guy who was in westerns, and so that's why you see some westerns in his '60s career. But honestly, they aren't the things that he made the most money off of in the '60s, by and large. Um, I, I think he was just always seen as a romantic comedy figure and so wherever there was a need for his particular lightness of touch is where he went and Rockford though it's important to a lot of people though it has you know some fans definitely I don't I don't think it's as seminal to his career as it would be for other actors which is another thing that just makes him so extraordinary it's a, he, you know I, I always come back to Peter Davison as being an a, example of a, a true fully rounded actor in terms of his career. Um, and I think that he is very much like Peter Davison, you know, Peter Davison go in Dr. Who for a few years, but yet there's never a question that he's going to be typecast, not even slightly. Um, and in fact, he's doing another show or two at the time that he's doing Dr. Who. And, uh, you know, Jim Garner's film career didn't really stop because of Rockford. It might've slowed down slightly, but it didn't stop. Um, if anything, his Rockford, popularity made him you know more susceptible to getting good parts like you know Murphy Murphy's Romance for which he wins an Oscar or I'm sorry for which he's nominated for an Oscar so I, I you know it's an interesting thing is where anybody can see examples of his work um but it's he's such a curious actor in that it's not enough to make that Anything more than what lazy journalists are doing today, which is to say that, you know, lazy journalists are saying known for Rockford Files. That's not really true. I don't think that he is, you know, massively and indelibly linked to the Rockford Files. I think that his career just shows much more activity than that. And indeed, I'm sure he, you know, excluding reruns, I'm sure that he gets paid more in the later part of the 80s and the early 90s off of film than he was ever getting on salary for Rockford. It's it's amazing to me that there's um, eight TV movies made uh, um, from the Rockford Files, which 
that seems i mean quite a lot of tv series get a uh, i always used to talk about the the difference between the uk and the states in terms of um in america uh, if a film was successful they'd make a tv series of it where here in the uk a tv series like step to and son had run for so many years and then they think right we'll now invest the money to make a film of it you know what I mean? It always seems to be the backwards way around. But I well, I mean, this was, a, this was though a phenomenon that was happening in the 80s and, and 90s where a film that, I mean, a television series that had been pretty popular uh, would come to sort of a natural end of its life. But that, yet you would know there was a pool of people who was receptive to see more of that. And so what they would do is they would just sort of throw out some... TV movies at the end of its life. So you get that, you know, you get that with, um, like, Murder, She Wrote has some of that. Uh, the Diagnosis, Murder has that. Matlock has that. Um, in the Heat that, of the Night, I believe they did that, too. Sure. Uh, you could even say that reunion movies, quote-unquote, count in that sort of way. So like the Andy Griffith show has a TV movie at the end of its life. Um, certainly bionic woman and $6 million man, you know, they have three more movies after their shows are over. It was a thing that was done. It's not done that much nowadays, uh, but it was certainly done in the eighties and nineties quite a bit. So it's not quite, it's not exactly an, an analogy to what you're saying, Dave, because what you're talking about is the, the British phenomenon of actually making a film that makes it into British cinemas. Mm. None it's of that, that's not what we're talking movie. about. Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally direct to TV movie because there's, a, you know, in the summertime, largely there's a, you know, a slot that they want to fill, or maybe they burn one off during Christmas or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I suppose know. to go back to, to the cult nature of our, of our thing as well, I suppose, mm. is it to Battlestar Galactica somewhere like that, where, they, they they will have a series and then they will do a basically a, a were the movies in those I'm right answer with the Battlestar Galactica where they did a they were actually episodes edited together to make yeah a feature ah, movie thank you. right right okay yeah. but you being British I see why you see that because that I don't think that happened in America I think it was just a British thing or well they did for the new thing. series they did episodes oh. That yeah, were intrinsic, yeah. but yeah, for yeah. the old series, they might have released them. I mean, I know the only Galactica that was released here was the pilot, where they rejiggered everything uh, with a different ending and everything. They're just like they uh, re- released Buck Rogers yeah. in Sense Around. Right. Well, they did that with didn't they do that with The Godfather. What happened with The Godfather? The, that was three films, then they released it as a ten-hour miniseries. Well, that, that was on TV. It was re-edited, uh, the novel for television. Right. Mm. But they changed the time sequence as well, didn't they? In that. I don't know if they did that, but it, it's done. It's done uh, in chronic, I, chronological order. Chronological yeah. order. Yeah. And yeah. so they don't have the flashbacks. They have extra scenes in the beginning, so you begin with all the scenes in Sicily, and then continue on. Right. Until it's like one seamless film. Okay. Anybody else want to to chip in on this? Um, uh, we should have welcomed uh, Jeff into the room. By the way, the seventh doctor. 
he he joined us after the opening uh, uh, announcements and welcomes were made. I don't know whether he's available on audio to speak, but certainly can do so now if he wishes. Uh, but anybody else? Ian, you've not said much. I mean, I would have thought, I mean, I, I know they were a bit before your time, but you must have seen repeats of uh, both Maverick and the Rockford Files. I remember them being on. I just don't really, I mean, I don't really remember them, you know. Did they ever make it to colour, uh, Darth or anybody? Or were they all in black and white? Uh, some of the Mavericks did. I don't remember if they were the quote-unquote Maverick brothers, you know, other than uh, Gardner's uh, character or not. Um, James Gardner didn't make it to colour, no. No. Uh, no. I mean, yeah, they, by 60. In 60, there's no colour in America, really. Right. Rock, yeah, the Rockford Files are still there showing the uh, the, the cards, uh, card title that's in coloured with uh, Noah Berry, Beery, is it, Junior, who's only about 10 years older than him playing his uncle. Uh, yeah, 122... Oh, you were right the first time. Oh, right, thank you. Uh, 122 episodes plus 8 TV movies. Okay, well, um, I said we'd bookend with those two things, but I actually played the second team already, so um, uh, unless he uh, does wants to make any more comments than anybody else, um, Ian, do you want to um, underline that with uh, any little promotion? <laughs> Guy, you're as subtle as a brick there, Cooper. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Well, this girl likes me, that's all I care, well, not all I care about, oh, she can't do, she's gone. Oi, come back. You <laughs> drove her away. <laughs> Hello, this is uh, Winston Churchill here, or otherwise Ian McNeese, saying listen to the Coldham Collective Podcast, KBO, keep buggering on. Thank you. <laughs> well, we take that advice, literally. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, a little bit of news that I came across, and I'm still um, unsure on, on some of it, but uh, an announcement was made. Um, on the 17th, that uh, Underground Toys is uh, going to be going into uh, business with Walgreens uh, to bring out a line of uh, Doctor Who toys. Um, we're absolutely announced, <coughs> absolutely thrilled um, to be launching uh, some new uh, Doctor Who uh, 3.75 inch action figures with Walgreens in August. Uh, this will be the first time that these figures will be available in the marketplace. Uh, and the assortment includes 12th Doctor, 11th, uh, a new 10th Doctor uh, figure, a new Amy Pond, uh, a new Asylum Dalek, uh, finally, new and exclusive to Walgreens in 2014, uh, Genesis Dalek. So, uh, yeah, that's, I, I, I'm the reason why I say, <coughs> excuse me, uh, that I'm unsure about it is that I do know that Walgreens does actually own boots uh, in the UK. Um, so I'm unsure as to they don't actually say they're releasing those in the US there's no mention of the US but my assumption is that because it's a uh, they do mention that uh, they've got exclusive deals uh, with, the, uh, with the chain for um, My Little Pony and Marvel Legends and Star Wars so um, I'm hopeful it, it's great uh, I have seen a number of complaints from uh, fans 
they must be the real fans of Doctor Who. Uh, they don't like these kind of figures. They're too big or whatever. Um, but uh, who cares uh, if they're a decent price? I'm going to buy them for my kid because he loves Doctor Who. So, <laughs> yeah, I just think it's funny sometimes. I understand people are collectors and they like to collect um, these figures. Uh, but also, please remember, they're also toys for kids to play with. And, uh, you know, people get enjoyment now, out of just playing with them as well. So Now, now we know we brought them, you brought them up right liking Doctor Who, but are they critics yet? <laughs> no, no. no. Um, uh, actually, I, I, I do have to, to um, make this comment that uh, I watched... Uh, I've forgotten the name of it now. I'm trying to wipe it out of my brain. Uh, <laughs> Delta and the Bannerman. And he said, oh, Doctor Who. I like Doctor Who. Um, I guess it's been some time since I've watched Dalton the Bannerman. Man, it's just probably the worst episode of Doctor Who I think I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> but, 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 now you can say, if you want to and see another flight. Dalton the Bannerman. <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you know, seventh, yeah. Um, but, um, yeah. But now you can say, in, you can say to him, oh, you like flying buses. You better watch Planet of the Dead. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. The bus makes a comeback. <laughs> now, well, Ian, are, are the toys the underground toys that are already being produced, or are there going to be something new? They, they say new Doctor Who 3.75 inch action figures. Now, I'm no expert on action figures, so okay. I'm not totally I know those are already going to be coming out from underground. Maybe that they're getting the. Ex- that they're also being distributed, and that's the big deal. It, it, it sounds like they've gone. There, it's an exclusive line for Walgreens, so it's. Um, well, you're upsetting, you're upsetting Ken make. now. <laughs> oh no, no, I have a Walgreens nearby, no problem. Who's <laughs> Ken's corner? Ken's corner. Yeah, just want to be able to get my own set. They're like. Well, it's good, especially too if they're of a decent price and they're, um, you know, because a lot of the stuff that we tend to get here, uh, you know, you either get through a, um, an importer. Uh, well, actually, generally, you used to get things through an importer. Now it's becoming a little more. Um, uh, I was telling Dave on on the weekend that uh, Books a Million, our local bookstore, they've got a whole big stand full of Doctor Who stuff, but it is um, tends to be quite expensive. Uh, so, um, hopefully, this will be a, a cheaper line. Because when you have a four-year-old who wants Doctor Who stuff, you don't want to spend an awful lot of money on something that he might rip the head off in about five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, just be yeah. truthful, you know. If he wants to throw a, a Dalek across the room, then so be it. But when you have a twenty a Dalek that you pay twenty thirty dollars for to import it from the UK or that a family member shipped over, you don't necessarily want to play rough with it. So. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you say about the, the scale, because that was kind of a big thing. But uh, the couple of years ago, I guess, when and, um, uh, character options switched to 375, um, and, and the only reason was because character options, for whatever reason, decided to do to open up with a five-inch scale. And so that meant that, for instance, you could have a an 11th Doctor that was five-inch, but the only Clara that you could get 
is 375. And so, therefore, she looks really, really short next to the 11th Doctor, and it's all made by character options. But even though that's a bit of a disadvantage, um, the advantage, I suppose, uh, is that 375 is the industry standard. So that means that your Doctor Who toys now can interact with, um, you know, standard Star Wars toys. So you get greater opportunity to mix them. If you're, you know, a more general collector of action figures, then suddenly this means that, you know, Doctor Who stuff is of, quote unquote, the right scale, whereas it wasn't the right scale before. It was massive before. Uh, but, you know, having said that, the downside is, you know, when you look, you've got less space, right? If you've got less space, that means there's less detail, which means that, um, you know, the uh, Clara figure has been widely panned because it just doesn't look like her. And it couldn't. It's really hard to see how it would look like her in that tiny uh, scale. Um, so, I mean, there are pluses and minuses to that whole thing. And, Ian, incidentally, they do sell to boots already. Um, so th- I think this really is an announcement that is delivering new stuff to the to the scene uh, and making it, you know, I mean, they're already in Walmart. You could get underground toys in Walmart, but to get it in Walgreens, that's even more convenient because they're, in most places, there are more Walgreens than there are Walmarts. We're going to put Wal- uh, Walgreens uh, within the month of August. That's just because it'd be great to, um, to to just give them a, you know, depending what the price is, because um, they do tend to be generally fairly well priced at Walgreens uh, for 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 toys. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what. Oh, I, I will report back when I find them, <laughs> and let everybody know, and maybe they take some pictures of Callum dismantling them. He's very good at. He's dismantled every toy that uh, that Liam used to have. <laughs> Sounds kind of sort of like the um, uh, gold key uh, criticism, the gold key criticism of um, uh, Star Trek comics that nobody looks like their character. Hmm. Kind of. But, uh, yeah, it just, like, like I said, I mean, I understand that the people who are collectors and you know, the, you know, various things are important when you're collecting stuff, but. Having a nice cheap set of toys available to to the young ones is one of the things that keeps the show going because kids can play Doctor Who to their heart's content. Yeah, I I wouldn't hold your breath too much, though, unfortunately, on the price thing because, for instance, at Kmart, you can get, you know, the Attack of the Cybermen duo of Perry and a Cyberman, and it's like 40 bucks. So, and that's Kmart now, yeah. which should which should actually in theory be cheaper than Walgreens, but yeah. Uh, we can we'll stay tuned. I got a Kmart not too far from me. Hmm. <laughs> but hopefully, find out what happens with these toys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hopefully, the the great thing about that is that um, you know, so far underground toys, largely in America, has only been introducing their kind of, what would you call them, sets. Um, so not not individual figures, but sets. So like in the case of this Perry thing, it's Perry and this 
Cybermen. And it's marketed as, you know, something clearly designed to attract to older fans. Because, you know, what six-year-old cares about attacking a Cyberman? Nobody, right? Uh, so this is clearly their, their classic range. So that's why those are probably, I'm guessing, going to be higher priced than, than just the individual PCAP doll or whatever, you know, because the PCAP doll would be more current, right? Um, so hopefully you're right. Hopefully it, it's got a price point of, what, nine ninety nine or something yeah, like that. Probably um, will be. Um, Ian and, and, and Darth, I'm check, double-checking the info. They will be underground toys line of Doctor Who. Yeah. And they'll uh, be, right. and yeah, so it's not a variant or another company or Mezco or anything. And the limited ones, right. like like you said, is the Genesis Dalek. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have the Capaldi yeah. Doctor. And yes. Sambo puts in text good. that the twin packs are in 5-inch, not uh, 3.75. That's less The 3.5, 7.5 will be less expensive, he says. Mm-hmm. 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 Very cool. Any any word on price, Ken, or is those are in the... Um, probably going to be around... Uh, $9.99. It just sounds right yeah. that they'd, they'd have a... Yeah. That'd be great to uh, kind of have a you know, uh, Capaldi doctor, you know, as he's watching the new episodes and, you know... I think there'd be more accessibility, that. too, because you try and... Toys R Us, they'll usually hoard the uh, the key figures for their friends when people oh. work there. It's almost right. impossible to get some of those. Uh, you know, uh, that, and we lost our our Toys R Us. It, it, it got yeah. demolished. They did not uh-huh. renew their lease, and uh, they didn't. They're not opening up another store here. And we yeah. have, let's see, within <coughs> about five minutes driving distance, there are one, two, three, four, four Walgreens. Thing interesting yeah. too about Walgreens <laughs> is they they have flyers every week. In the paper, yep. they they will probably be advertising for the holidays along with the the plush animals, et cetera, et cetera. Um, hmm. You know, they'll be having ads for Doctor Who toys. Or just right. a sport podcast. Right there, you go. <laughs> time to time to start taping a, uh, my business card to the back of each each one of the toys. <laughs> <laughs> I did have thoughts of putting them in the Doctor Who books. <laughs> books of a million, but hey. All right. What Let's hear from someone else. else. Yes, this yeah. one. This is Daphne Ashbrook, and you are listening to Cultum Collective Podcast. Oh. All right. You can is find another anyone... if you tried. What? Like. Hi, I'm Rabbit from Steam Powered Giraffe. And I'm the Spine from Steam Powered Giraffe. And you're listening to the Cultum Collective. Enjoy. Which puts me into another yeah. news news item. Uh, <laughs> you've heard me talking about it before, but uh, and at the end of the show, I'll be playing a clip, uh, a short advert for uh, uh, Orlando Nerdfest. Uh, my wife and I will be seeing Steam Power Giraffe live on stage in Orlando um, Friday, the 8th of August. Um, and so 
we're very excited, and uh, we'll be doing some. I'll be doing some reporting from Orlando Nerdfest. Um, hopefully, catching up with uh, Steam Park Draft while we're there. If not, setting up another interview to see how they enjoyed the in, the entire uh, uh, event. And uh, yeah, so stay tuned for more of uh, more news about Orlando Nerdfest. All right. I think we're all out of news except for the main news of the day. Right, Dave? What did you oh, have right. uh, No, 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 no. Absolutely not. No. Yeah, we we, we want to talk. And by the way, uh, some people may now consider this next bit spoilers, but we're, we're, it is an official trailer. We're going to talk a little bit about um, the latest uh, Dot 2 trailer. That's why uh, this episode is titled Who Knew Five Years of Cultman? Well, uh, the Who Knew is um, uh, this trailer, but we'll also be talking about uh, this uh, weekend. I think it was the 18th, just gone, of July that uh, Doctor Who uh, started filming the new series with the Ninth Doctor. But um, just before that, we're going to talk a little bit about the um, Doctor Who latest trailer. Now, um, Spoiler alert. Thank you very much indeed. Now, if people Spoiler have, alert. If people have accessed Spoiler uh, alert. these these scripts that have made it out. Uh, Spoiler we alert. Want, we don't want any known uh, things. Uh, we're just talking about uh, response okay, to the actual trailer. Muting. He's going to mute himself. Okay. Yep. Uh, right. Uh, I believe if you watch the trailer carefully, you may get hints of uh, up to three or four different stories. Um, now, obviously, quite a few of those may be visual things. So I'm just going to play the one-minute clip and then we may talk for a short time or at some length. Uh, but we'll put in text uh, if anybody doesn't want to listen about it. But this is, of course, the official trailer that went out. And uh, in three, two, one. I don't think I know who the doctor is anymore. Life repairs. I'm the doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. I've made many mistakes. It's about time that I did something about that. Where are we going? Into darkness. Here we go again. Clara, tell me. Am I a good man? I... don't know. Doctor Who. Saturday, 23rd of August, on BBC One. Uh, and we know it's going to air fairly concurrently, don't we, in the States and, um, and maybe right. other countries, because obviously with their different timelines and so on. So, um, Ian, do you want to go first on this one or not? You've sure. been quite quiet. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to finally get get uh, a, a bit of a look. There's some interesting stuff in there, interesting aliens. Um, of course, we've got you know Daleks or a Dalek or I don't know. I think there's a one in there. So to be honest, it was just one um, because you know we've talked before about the, the episode Dalek and uh, you know how how interesting it is just to have one rather than hordes of them. Um, 
there. I'm trying to remember everything because I'm just listening to it now. Like trying to remember what I saw. So maybe I'll have another little watch of it while somebody else is talking. And uh, um, well, let's go to Mike. Let's go to Mike. He says he's going to be careful about what he says. Um, So Mike, go on. I am one of those people who's read all the leaked scripts and seen the edit of Deep Breath, but refraining, keeping all the spoilers, just focusing on this trailer, you can actually, there's a bit towards the end of the trailer where you do see multiple Daleks. So it, it, that episode, we can infer, will have more than just that one Dalek. Um, other things that I've noticed is just, I can't wait to see Capaldi playing the Doctor. I can't wait to see his portrayal of the character. He just The way he delivers his lines is, is just from this trailer alone is, is great. I and of course, we, as we've said before, he's he's using his own Scottish accent. I can't see, wait to see if if that will work into the character at, at all. Because I remember back, what was it, the, the Tenth Doctor? He used David Tennant used another accent besides besides his own Scottish accent, except in the, the Tooth and Claw episode, where a point was made of that, where the Doctor stopped using that accent, and, and the Queen noticed what's going on with your accent. But it'll be interesting to see what Capaldi does. Here and just we we have another we have what we've had with these two previous teaser trailers is this question of keeping on with this theme of a good man and what Moffat's been doing with this question of is the Doctor a good man? We have uh, Capaldi's Doctor asking Clara, "Am I a good man?" at the end, and Clara, in a rather annoying flat d- uh, delivery of the line, "I don't know," which is kind of annoying, comparing that with. Capaldi's delivering of his line, how flat and dull Coleman's delivery is. But it, it's just, we have the iteration of that theme going on. And, and it's, that's what we've had with BBC's marketing of the series leading up to this is get to know the Doctor. It, is We have this new set of regenerations. Who is this the same Doctor? Of course, it is the same Doctor. But what's changed with the character? Has anything changed with the Doctor? And we have that question posed by the BBC's marketing campaign of, Get to uh, get. Do you know the doctor? Just this hint of get to know the doctor, who he really is, and that's reiterated here. And just some other little tidbits that I've noticed just on this trailer alone. The, the TARDIS console room has been redesigned. I rather oh, like yes. the uh, the redesign. You can briefly see it at the end. There are bookshelves added in the bookcases, background. Bookcases, bookcases, yeah. yeah. Bookcases, bookshelves. The same same difference, I guess. But yeah, it's it's a nice redesign there. Uh, just uh, so we we have some uh, we have, as these trailers go we have brief glimpses of upcoming enemies some familiar some unfamiliar some new enemies to look forward to just uh, we'll see how this goes okay uh, Ian do you want to come back in how do you um, should I yeah, go the, uh, uh, Darth have actually alluded to um, from the the picture the, the one press release picture that we got of um, the Doctor and, and Clara and the TARDIS and the different color scheme that we had in there, the the, the more warm kind of orange light, um, you know, from the end of the two of them sitting on the steps, you can see that that's the case. So it's 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 nice that we're going to get a bit of a a bit of a change to the desktop, um, and it's interesting to have you know that we're getting bookcases or bookshelves. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I'm always interested when the when the when the TARDIS console room changes, and, and why? I mean, is it going to be? I mean, we do see a lot of explosions happening in the in the console room, 
why that is, we don't know. Um, because, I mean, where we left off, we had the TARDIS crashing. Um, so is it because of that, or is it something uh, during the first couple of episodes? We don't know. Uh, so it's interesting to see what what uh, creates the need to, to kind of redecorate, or really just, you know, decides to redecorate. Um, I wanted to say something else, but I realized it was done as a separate release um, on the Twitter feed. I think uh, Michael knows yeah. what I'm talking about, but I can bring that up later if need be. It was It's an officially released picture, but I won't go into it because it, reveal, it reveals something that's not in this trailer, so... It reveals something for the series eight finale. I know what you're what you're talking about. But the other quick comment that I was wanting to make on this trailer is we have that brief comment of the Doctor and Clara and the are in the TARDIS and the Doctor's asking, or no, it's Clara is asking. We we have the comment of where are we going next? And the Doctor says into darkness. And I just I I found that rather amusing. Star Trek into darkness. Doctor Who just, into darkness. Just not going to like this at all. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. Couldn't resist, uh, but yeah, it it. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, the the love the dinosaur, T Rex, whatever. Yeah, T Rex at the towards the end of the the trailer uh, looks very very nicely done. Um, and it, and it seems to be you know uh, running around in the Thames or at least near the Thames. <laughs> so uh, it's going to be you know we. How that how that comes to be, and plus we've got uh, um, uh, Madame Vastra and, and, and gang um, present. So, I mean, I, I think it has been revealed that at some point that they were gonna they were definitely gonna meet up with the new Doctor. Uh, but it's gonna need to see that clip there. Yeah, here we go again. So, what that is in reference to? Who knows? Okay. But yeah, that's, that's 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 all I've been able to garner so far. It's difficult. You you sit there, you get all excited, and you're like, oh yeah, I gotta talk to somebody about this. And then then somebody asks you, and you're like, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> There's a clip of the TARDIS spinning through space. That was cool, and you know, uh, we've got another Dalek spaceship. So, okay. Yeah. Anyway. Well, uh, well, um, we we know. Rick Wall's not going to talk on this. Uh, Jeff's obviously stepped away from his mic at the moment. Uh, I'll go to Ken in a minute, but before to that, I, I'd just like to say a few things. First of all, I think the book cases of the books, you know, that shows presumably they're trying to make him more of a man of learning. Uh, he's going to be um, more seasoned. I love the reference, the fact that he's over 2,000 years old, uh, because um, one of the things that... that uh, well, I didn't really like the ta- the last uh, the Christmas episode, but we you know we had uh, it taking Clara three hundred years to get back to him, and then there was another three hundred years or so, or apparently another another great length of time where he aged a second time. So I was thinking he must be at least eighteen hundred years. So I'm glad that they've referenced that. Maybe the reference in the fact that we're in the year two thousand fourteen. Now I'm not saying that I mean he was born the same time as Jesus, but. Uh, the the sort of locking in, I think when um, you know uh, that that's just something they're building into it. The lighting has uh, evolved and uh, it's taken on a slightly warmer tone. tone. But I, I I still think some of this is practicality. I do think that um, 
uh, when this TARDIS interior was first done. I think a lot of it was in shadows and poor, what I consider poor lighting, basically because they hadn't got a fully constructed site. The, you know, the, the bit above the TARDIS console seemed to me to be more CGI than anything else, where in this it looks a little bit more um, realistic, probably from a scale model, but it looked more like a scale model looking up than actually CGI. Um, the... Um, one of the things you oh yeah the the dinosaur that you I mean that references to me the third doctor and maybe going back to one of his stories maybe there's going to be a lot of third doctor in this portrayal um, the um, the voice now you mentioned the Dalek do do we think um, Mike and Ian before we go to others do we think that's the voice of Davros or not is that the indication that that you're having with that. Uh, we, we had a brief discussion about this too, and we uh, with the, the the teaser that we had had prior to this, uh, it kind of works in the teaser. It worked from kind of almost a human sounding voice to all the way to Dalek. So it, it's hard to say what what it is because it does sound very. Uh, I mean, my I guess my hopes are on Davros just because you know it'd be a nice change. We've had a bunch of Dalek stories and. And you know, uh, no sign of Davros, and he always manages to escape. And so when we last saw him, we we didn't see him die. So it's 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 very possible that he is still alive. But of course, I can't say anything because I've read the script. So maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Okay, well let's let's um, um, bring Ken in. Uh, okay, well I think Ken. it is. I really think it is. The previous dialogue of teasers, and then this is saying life returning. Now, dual meaning about the doctor's life returning, about his creation's life returning, or his own life returning. But the way it's said, I mean, they they show a plenitude of Daleks, and it could be a father with his children, life returning. Um, like the look of the TARDIS, um, I didn't I didn't mind the changeover, but the the bluish uh, tone to the lighting uh, constantly um, can be a bit dull. This this is a lot better. The the reds uh, melded with it, and the bookshelves the change in the look. Now whether or not it's from an attack or from the crash or self-change, we don't know. I mean, it's only a minute, but it just it looks really good. I, I like his attitude uh, just from this. Um, the aspect of him asking, you know, am I, am I a good man or not? You know, can that be him asking about what he's done in the past or has he referencing himself now? I mean, it's, you know, both of those being asked. And by Clara not, not being able to answer that, 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 that throws everything awry. So it, 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 it's interesting changes, and I, and I like that we're getting that change up. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad they're having that. And uh, even, well, sorry, okay. Kent, uh, I was just saying, uh, one thing I did like about it when you said that, you know, like the bit when they're sitting on the stairs having a conversation, one thing I was worried about was, you know, how Clara as a companion would adapt to this sort of, you know, n- not a young, hunky Time Lord, as it were, but, 
you know, uh, more of an uncle figure or a father figure or whatever. Uh, and they seem very comfortable um, in yeah, that scene together. Yeah, they're in space. It's, it's like two friends discussing a problem. So it's, it's really good. She, she's not frantic about it. And it's just, it, it's on a very calm level. So, I mean, I, I liked I liked the way she played the dialogue. It's like, she's lost right there. She doesn't know. So about any flatness in the line reading, it's 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 like it's it's something that just um, has her going a bit crazy there. Doesn't know what what what's going on with him. What about this into darkness uh, aspect? Yeah, into darkness. Yeah, it's like to save himself, to he has to purge himself of the darkness within him, uh, perhaps. But. Uh, you don't. You don't think it means there's going to be a darker tone as well to the whole thing, less of the fairy tale aspect. The show's the show's always saying fairy tale dark. It, it's been dark all along. I I, I think they'll he'll just cover it with things. I I don't think uh, I don't think there was even a lightness with Matt Smith. There was there was maybe uh, a craziness every now and then masking it. You know, when good man goes to war and and all of that, he's he's always throwing in his in the faces of his enemy. You know how impossibly great he is, and how he's going to you know uh, you know take care of them. So I I think of the tone itself and how he's going to play the doctor. It's going to be much restrained. I mean, he's going to be much more restrained than that. Which is not to say he's not going to have quirky moments, you know. It's not the doctor unless he's quirky. Yeah, you know, we have to have that. But he 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 just says, you know, I, I like the way uh, he sounds. There's there's a neat look to him, kind of unbuttoned, you know, un no tie, kind of unbuttoned, uh, kind kind of like a vampire in a hammer film look to him but um, very nice very nice and the the thing is it's right from the get go it looks like it's the TARDIS being shut down not necessarily maybe even being attacked but it looks it looks like the the handle the control uh, is going down the sparks start flying so it's the wonder is he doing it himself? Is he bringing on the changes himself? Yeah. Okay. Oh no. But but very good, very good. Uh, a little over a minute. Nice taste of it. Okay. Well, um, let's let's go and see uh, if Darth uh, has uh, some comments on this, and hopefully by then uh, Jeff will be able to come to audio. I think uh, he'd arrived in and was just probably eating and self muted. So Darth, have you got any thoughts on? On the, uh, we talked about it very briefly last time. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, obviously, as Ian already suggested, the thing that I initially took away as the big thing was just the, the relighting of the TARDIS set um, that immediately jumped out. I'm still not convinced, though, that it is sorry necessarily a permanent change. It could be just because of all the explosions that we're seeing out of context, it could be a conditional change as if the, cause I don't, I 
I, I'm not entirely sure, but I don't think that we have ever seen this TARDIS set at the time that the cloister bells are ringing. I know that we've, I think, heard the cloister bells once with this TARDIS set, but I don't think they've actually been inside as it's uh, the, the alarm is going off. So it could just be that. I'm hoping it's not. I'm hoping that this is a, a permanent shift. Um, I, you know, I, I think that though this is probably a a big, big, huge misdirection. I I, I think that um, you know. Oh, it lies. <laughs> well, yes, obviously he lies. But I think that the the thing that has been said ever since Peter Capaldi was cast was, okay, it's going to be a dark dark doctor. And so where is he going in the trailer? Into darkness. I don't think it's... uh, I I didn't even take from that a reference to Star Trek or a pun on that or anything like that. I thought immediately, well, this trailer is saying exactly what the fans have been saying. And so therefore, it's making the trailer popular. Um, But I... (laughs) <laughs> something about me says that might be what happens, you know, the first 10 minutes of the first episode, but darkness, darkness, I just don't see that. Um, I, I really think this is selling the show in a, um, just, just a false way, sort of in the same way that, you know, that series one, um, explosion trailer, with Eccleston running down the tunnel with the ball flame behind him, that was largely a misdirection too. Even though it's great and it still stands as being, you know, one of the best trailers for Doctor Who ever, it's not really true. It's not that dark, you know. It's not in no. I mean, they did completely different cinematography for that um, and color grading, especially for that trailer, than existed within the series itself. And I kind of think that's what's happening here. Um, I would find it extremely odd if the, you know, one little thing that we get of Capaldi looking directly at the camera after, you know, you hear the voiceover, I'm the doctor, is actually within any particular episode. Um, I I would be a little surprised, too, if the um, Jenna Coleman stuff at the very beginning, before you see the Dalek eye stalk, um, is in a in a episode either it might be though that one at least she's not completely breaking the fourth wall but she's coming really close um it's it's clever it's very it's designed to emotionally affect you and draw you into the series and i think it it does that um it's certainly better than you know matt smith's launch which was that stupid 3d trailer that was just bizarre, you know, of him and Amy on the grass, and then suddenly they're in the vortex, and you know, they've got all these things coming at them, obviously designed for 3D, but when you watch it in 2D, it really made no sense at all, and didn't engender any excitement particularly. This one is, you know, it's really successful in terms of engendering excitement, and probably the most exciting thing since that Series 1 trailer. Um, But I just don't trust it. Not at all. I don't think that this is showing this. I don't really think that that, you know, can you trust the doctor? Um, that whole line of thought, whether he's a good man, 
I actually don't think that's going to be that big a deal. I mean, it could be. You know, I don't. I've not looked at these scripts or whatever, um, but it doesn't seem to me like that is something. If it is important, why would you give that away? I mean, uh, it's just you know, at no other point in Doctor Who history have we gotten a major plot line out of the trailer. This could be the exception that proves the rule, but. I mean, think about it. There's really nothing in any trailer um, that reveals anything particularly about the plot line of that series. So if if this business of, you know, am I a good man actually turns out to be a, you know, something beyond just the first episodes, you know, Hey, I just regenerated. I've, I don't know quite who I am. Help me out here. If it, if it turns out to be anything beyond that, I will be mightily surprised. Um, but I mean, there are good things that are in here. One thing that also struck me was the very clever use of the Daleks, kind of, you know, as sort of a way to. Um, say, hey, you know, this is the same series, and to suggest through the use of fog and whatever that maybe um, they're going to be sinister again, and that maybe there'll be something there that's that's interesting. Um, By far, though, the most interesting thing is that's the only, you know, real thing, real aspect of continuity within this trailer, except for maybe the shot of Madame Vastra. Um, What's interesting is how many new aliens there are and, you know, how intriguing they all seem, at least in terms of their visual design, and how different they all are. You know, there's quite a bit of variability to these new aliens. Um, The only thing that, like, twigged my fan gene a little bit was the, for lack of a better word, armored warriors that you see. And I immediately thought, hmm, are these going to be the Gundam Warriors from Warriors Gate? Um, and if it is the Gundam Warriors from Warriors Gate, you know, could we possibly be seeing the return of Romana? I have no idea, obviously, if any of that is true or anything like that. Yeah, if anybody uh, can, can, don't confirm it, if they know. Yeah, better. I'm not. I'm, I'm probably not. I mean, it was just the thing that struck me was, well, here's the cat, obviously up against the castle. And here's something that looks kind of like a humanoid robot in armor. Could that be, you know, something from Warrior's Gate? Maybe. Uh, I I won't be disappointed if it's not. It's a great design, whatever the case may be. Um, But um, it's interesting how this is so different from even the second trailer for the Matt Smith era in 2010 because then... Uh, there was a sort of stress on um, kind of giving you some narrative, you know, giving you some lines uh, to give you a sense of what might be happening in this episode. But this isn't anything like that. I mean, this is literally just image, 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 done. You know, Um, very simple in terms of its structure, uh, but effective for that because, you know, how can you screw that up, really? I mean, there's no you're not giving anything away really at all, and so therefore, you know, fans are probably going to be pleased because they they've got nothing to go on, they've got nothing to think about. It's just here's an image of a dinosaur up against Westminster Palace. 
okay, you know, that's obviously striking. That obviously works, but we don't know what the circumstances are. We don't know what the conditions are. Um, Nothing to think about, really. You know, it's just, is that a good image? Yes. Is the next image a good image? Yes. Is it cool to see the Daleks in fog again? Yes. You know, immediately evocative of Dalek invasion of Earth or whatever. Um, so it's 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 just an image trailer, which is probably, uh, you know, the best thing they could have done at this point, in a way. But having said all that, the, the great thing, the double-edged sword about the image trailer is it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't add up to anything. And and so therefore I don't really think I don't buy whatsoever that they're going into darkness. Not one second of me thinks, Oh yes, this is now the new dark doctor who I just, you know, <laughs> you got two words and then you throw in some images and there's your trailer, you know? Um, it's, it's quite effective, but yet at the same time, it means nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, just while you pause a moment, um, Robert Robert Carrie King from uh, Talking Twilight Zone, another his own show, join us. Um, and he's just put, um, what about the Briggs line in the trailer? Uh, uh, he, well, here we go again. Are the the reference to it? Are the similarity to it? Uh, just to, I suppose it's just a useful shorthand for you know here we go again with the new Doctor. But uh, thanks for mentioning that, Robert. R- Robert's not on audio. That's why I'm. Reading that out. Yeah, I'd mentioned that before, but uh, and I, I at the time did not even think about that being in the Briggs line too. But he's right, you know. It's like oh, here we go again. So I, I, and that's Madame Bastru who says that. Um, so yeah, I wonder if it is, you know, um, maybe maybe they're in the first episode. You know, um, then. Because it would, I guess it would make sense to kind of, uh, it's kind of like surround the Doctor with something familiar, you know, with his first outing and 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 have him, you know, on Earth and surrounded by friends. Uh, that could be, you know, what that's in relation to. But yeah, can you go on, Garth? Sorry. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Uh, if I had that much to do, uh, I mean, I think though, if you look at the color grading of it, um, it really seems like what they've done is whatever episode this is that has the Paternoster gang in it um, clearly seems to be them just judging from her outfit. It clearly seems to be something sent back in times in, in, in their era rather than Clara's era. Um, and I, I think that what they've done in the trailer and and I'm I don't know is that they've taken the color grading off of that episode and said, okay, this is the palette we're using in the trailer. And then they just put everything into that palette more or less. Um, and, that might not be the true nature of what we're seeing whatsoever in the same exact way. Again, that they did it for series one, that Eccleston trailer, because all, most of that stuff was at least slightly treated um, to pull it more into the cinematography that they did for that trailer, because that trailer of course was, uh, well, I say, of course it looks like it was done um, 
where they in, in a way where they pumped up the the uh, film. Uh, what am I trying to say? The film ah, filter, I guess, over the top of the, what was probably filmed in video, and they just filmized it. But they really filmized it, as opposed to. I mean, they've always been filmizing the video that they've captured in Doctor Who, but I think in that first trailer, they really made it look like film. Really, just overemphasized, uh, in a sense, the graininess, I suppose. Um, and 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 I think that they took some of that that lighting, that palette. Um, from that trailer, and then when they put in clips from the series, just threw that on top of it. I kind of think that's what's going on with this. Um, well, I mean, minor things that I noticed. It seemed to me, and I could be wrong about this because it's a little difficult to tell angle of TARDIS. Because the great thing about this Pickwood set is, um, it, it it's got a lot more filming. Angles than the the old the last Thomas set, um, but it does look to me like they have maybe slightly changed some of the buttons as well, especially on the back panels to make them uh, seem more alive. They could just be lighting them, whereas they didn't light them a lot. I mean, it's really hard to tell um, because a lot of the interior shots we've got at the TARDIS of late have been in scenes that were meant to be moody. I mean, if you think about Journey into the Center of the TARDIS, uh, which is where you get really kind of the most extensive look at the thing, that is clearly a scene in which it's lit down because there's a problem on a TARDIS, right? Um, Same thing with the time of the Doctor. It's lit down because we're going into regeneration mode. You know, I guess energy is being conserved. And so a lot of the, the switches that are on the back panel aren't really... Um, lit up as they might be. Um, it's really the the only real clear, and I haven't gone back and, and done this. The only real clear instance of a fully bright TARDIS is probably from Snowman when it is introduced to Clara for the first time. Um, so I just, it, I mean, the thing that struck me looking at it is that the the set looked a lot more alive than it had been. Not just because of the color shift of the central column, but because they were really playing with the the lights on the surrounding panels, especially those back panels. And I think I think they they have materially changed as well. But that we're not going to really see until later. Um, I I have to say I one thing that was obscure to me is I don't know what the Dalek says, and I don't know why it is, but I played it back a few times and you know i get life begins but i don't know what the second life quote is anybody know what that is it says life begins then it anybody call call back is life something life again maybe life i I don't know what it is so i haven't um is it worth playing that one minute clip again Well, let no, because if I played it, well, yeah. I mean, you can play I it for the audience. Life maybe. prevails. Prevail? I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's weird, but I, I'll tell you this much. You know, the the initial question that you asked, Dave, was, is that Davros? Absolutely not. No way. No way is that Davros. Um, just it doesn't. No, unless they got a completely different actor playing it. No way. That's not Julian Bleach's performance whatsoever. That's. Briggs all the way, probably Briggs. At, at most, that's Briggs as the Emperor Dalek, at most. But I honestly think it's just 
one straight up Dalek. Okay. I, I, I listen to that like a ton of times too, just looking at that particular issue. That's not to say that Davros won't appear, because I think that there is some ambiguity left over from the trailer previous to this. There are moments in there where I think you could argue the case that it is Davros. But in this instance, I just, you know, it just sounds like Nicholas Briggs, straight up. So I don't know. Right, well, that, that and, and you would assume that it it wouldn't be Nicholas Briggs playing that part then. Well, no, I mean, you would assume that, that it would it would be, even if there is Davros in it, you would assume it would be a hell of a lot cheaper to get Nicholas Briggs to come in and do your trailers for the series than it would be to get, you know, whoever your actor is, assuming it's Julian Bleach, we'll just say that, um, you know, it would be cheaper to get Briggs than Bleach, you would think, just to come in and do your, your voiceover for your trailer. Right. Um, so I'm not, I'm not saying that Davros isn't in it. I think right. it could well be true. I just think um, if I had to bet... It sounds Davros or Imperial Dalek to me. It sounds Imperial Dalek to me. Well, not this one, though. Not this. I think this trailer, it sounds just like a Dalek. I think, I think there's a case to be made in the earlier trailer that that might be Imperial Dalek. Um, and and I, I can see why people thought Davros, but in terms of money, does it make any sense to bring in Julian Bleach when you got Nicholas Briggs who'll just do it incidentally for you for probably a lot cheaper? I don't know. I would just and why would you want to do anything more than suggest that it could be Davros? I mean, I think that yeah, probably that's the, the job. The, yeah, <laughs> the, I mean, the, yeah, the BBC team probably are, are over the moon that people are saying in the fan community, we don't know if it's Davros. That's probably exactly what they want. You know, this thought of, oh, you've got to watch it to see if it's Davros, but we're not telling you straight up it is Davros. That's, I think that's exactly how you want to play. If you're, again, and they don't make these things for fans, but if you're Stephen Moffat and a part of your brain says, how can I do this so that hardcore fans will actually come away with being entertained here? But actually, you absolutely... Yeah, go ahead. Actually, articles in the trade say Davros used in uh, Doctor Who teaser. Uh, I think if you read the articles, though, and Verizon, said, the right I, think, I think if you read the articles, they don't say it directly. I know I mean, there, but the headline they use, they do. Well, so it's interesting. Okay, headlines, who cares? I mean, the headline's probably no. not even written by the author of the article. Um, Headlines usually have a question mark at the end of them, anyway. No, they did question. <laughs> yeah. no, I mean, I think if you're Stephen Moffat trying to... Yeah, yeah, want, oh, there you, he goes again, trivia master. Uh, I mean, I, I think you want to do something where there is ambiguity about it, and I really think, you know, when you listen to that initial trailer, you can't say for certain that it's Davros, and that's got to be something that makes Stephen Moffat happy um, just because it creates buzz, whether or not there's Davros or not. I mean, there, there might be. I, I think that Davros has been gone for long enough now, what, six years, that you could definitely bring him back and it wouldn't feel like it was too soon and you wouldn't open yourself up to that traditional fan criticism of the 1980s saying, oh, every single Dalek story had a 
you know, Davros on it, and they got increasingly worse because of, you know, the overuse of Davros. You're not you're not at all open to that, you know, because we've missed an entire doctor, right? Which is so it's been it's been it's time for Davros, but it doesn't have to be Davros. It's it's also time, incidentally, I think, as a fan of Daleks in general, but not um, you know necessarily Davros. It, or I should say, as a fan of 60s Daleks, it, it's time for the Emperor to return as well. Because that's been... I mean, okay, fine. There was a slight Emperor in, in Victory of the Daleks. Um, but, you know, who knows how much that counts. I think I think the, the, the takeaway, too, about the Daleks is... In the, uh, in the fog is... There's nothing, you know... Gatus related about that. Those are all RTD Daleks straight up, you know, in the fog, as they should be. Um, and there might be an argument to that the eye stalk that you see at the very beginning, right before Clara comes in, you, you might be able to say, hmm, is that an eye stalk from a Victory of the Daleks Dalek? And I don't think so, but I don't know that there's enough there to positively ID might be enough there, but I don't know. That's still that fascinating, might, the absence of the the earlier Moffat-era Daleks. That, that makes me think, then. I mean, if they're using the older Daleks, things like that, and we have the mm. reference from the, you know, with the, the Tom Baker doctor saying, you know, trying to revisit old faces and touching mm. his nose, and, and this doctor saying, you know, he wants to know whether he's a good man or not. It seems as though he's going to revisit some of his old I mean not cross his own time stream but maybe maybe they, he will be going back to to old adversaries or, or whatever uh, and by the way uh, Mike's put in uh, life returns life prevails I don't see I don't even know what that that, is, that doesn't actually help the script for me at all to know that it's life prevails but the you know the interesting thing about the the Dalek too is that um you know, I I can't tell whether Moffat or whoever is really, you know, doesn't really doesn't like what happened in Victory of the Dog. Really doesn't like that whole incident. I, I or not because I think that you know the, he must have specified in his script for Asylum. You know, throw in some Victory of the Dalek Daleks. You know, so he can't hate them completely, and certainly he approved them in City of Daleks, the video game that came afterwards, where, you know, ostensibly, he w- it would have been super easy not to include them at all. Um, so it's hard for me to tell whether Moffat likes them or not, but the interesting thing is that um, they, the old Dalek, the RTD Daleks, may have returned for no other reason than Clara's short, or shorter than Karen Gillan. Because, you know, the original ah. design ethic for 2005 era Daleks is make them so that the eye stalk is in line with Billy Piper's eyes. And then the design ethic for the 2010 Daleks is make them so that the Dalek eye stalk is in line with Karen Gillan's eyes. So now if we've gone back to the RTD era Daleks, it may be for no other reason than just that. Because it's a good ethic. It's a good design ethic. You want them to be on a par with your companion because that's where you're going to get your sense of you know, horror 
Um, and so you want the companion to be able to be in an eye-to-eye conversation with them. So, you know, maybe we've gone back. If we go back, I don't think we should infer automatically that, you know, Moffat really thinks that he made a mistake with that redesign and, and therefore is backpedaling away from it. Uh, I think maybe a, a, an equally valid assumption is that he's just going along with the general design ethic that has been in place since 2005. So I don't know. It's fascinating, though, that you you don't see any uh, overt reference to one of the 2010 Daleks. Mm. I got a, I got a quick thing because I just while you've been talking, I've been playing it back and forth and back and forth. Mm. There's an interesting thing where you see there's like a long circular corridor that it, there appears to be like somebody at the end of or two people at the end of. Mm. Then they cut to Clara. Then they cl- cut to a Dalek eye stalk. I don't know anything about it. I know there's a Dalek episode, of course, because we've seen the trailer. But are they inside the Dalek? Oh, that's what I would definitely infer. Uh, absolutely, that's what I thought. Because they just oh, inside the Dalek. Yeah, inside the Dalek. Like, is that is that a reference to the... the They're inside the Dalek. Because like, um, the shot's pulling back yeah. down that corridor, and there's, like, almost, like, I don't know, the very last bit, because I started, you know, going through it really slow... Is you get the kind of uh, the slats on the look like on the outside of the the eye stalk, but then the next thing is the eye stalk. It's like, are they inside? Oh, we just see the dial kind of like a kind of like a um, um, you know, fantastic voyage inside the Dalek. Yeah, the creation oh, of the Sarah Dalek. I mean, the Clara Dalek. Yeah. I mean, kind of like you know, when we had Clara and a Dalek before. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I just, I just assumed that they were inside the Dalek spaceship. But yeah, it could be. That'd be kind of cool. I mean, I, I, in the middle. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I'm heartened by the fact that that there's going to be a return of the. Dalek, what are they called? I don't know if they got an on-screen name, but the Dalek scout ship or whatever that they viewed in Day of the Doctor. Uh, when I saw that against the traditional Dalek saucer, I was like, oh, that's great. I'm glad they're reusing that design. Um, so, I mean, I think the other thing that you can tell just from that, you know, from this trailer is that we have, you know, we were a little bit worried last year, I suppose, about the... Um, the pull out of um, oh good lord I've just lost the name of the mill right how the mill has not is not really going to be doing Doctor Who anymore but of course that's been largely replaced by you know several companies but the main company that is replacing is Milk and Milk is um, I think I think I'm right in saying that run by some of the people that were on the um, Mills team anyway but man the Everything that they've showed so far it looks amazing. I mean, this does not look like it's going to be 2010 again, where you had very hit and miss kind of graphics. You know, some things in 2010 were obviously affected by the the recession at the time, and you're looking at you know some shots and you're like, wow, how did that ever get through? Um, but but these shots, if they're re- truly representative of the series, makes me excited for the VFX. I'll tell you that. Okay, uh, well, uh, it doesn't look as though um, 
Jeff's able to come to audio, and he's, I think, the last one. Uh, Rick's already said that he, he's not going to comment for uh, fear of slipping, and anyway, he's dropped off now. Um, do, we, do you want to bring a line under this now, Ian? You seem to have something else you want to say. Yeah. Okay. Um, if anybody else, I mean, I don't know, Mike, if you want to come back in on anything, <laughs> if you can keep your mouth shut about everything else. <laughs> um, no, there's nothing else I can say without going into spoiler territory, but just feel forward with the, Do- the Dalek episode that's upcoming. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, uh, well, never mind. I was excited about the Dalek episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ken, any more? No, no. Yeah? Okay. Just going to let it play out. Alrighty, well, I'm going to interrupt this, this, this session with uh, breaking news. Well, it's kind of breaking. It's something that we haven't really kind of heard before, but at the moment on Facebook, on the uh, Doctor Who Missing Episodes discussion group on Facebook, there is currently a Q&A going on with uh, Philip Morris. And of course, the second question that was asked uh, was asked by just about everybody, plus Ian Salisbury, um, was... Uh, have you found more missing episodes of Doctor Who? A simple yes or no would be fine. And uh, Philip Morris's reply, and I just put it in text as well, was thusly. Um, Hi, Ian. Uh, tricky one to answer. And fans will want a you know, yes or no, haven't, uh, have you, haven't you? But it's complex. All I can say is the wind is blowing the right way. Be patient. So... Sounds very yucky to me. When you tell Mm -hmm. somebody to be patient, then there's obviously something to be patient for. So, that sounds good to me. Yeah, but that's uh, if 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 you're on Facebook and uh, you have time to join the uh, missing episodes discussion group that uh, that Q and A is going on right now. I think the questions were asked uh, in in a different thread previously, so. Uh, it's just a matter of basically watching along. Um, nobody's actually asking them live. They've all, all been previously uh, asked. So, uh, yeah, if you have any interest, uh, go along over there and uh, watch it unfold. But the big question has been answered, asked and answered already. <laughs> all right. And you have to join uh, the group to follow that. Uh, yes, looks they they may be busy and may not be able to allow you right the second, but it all depends on how many admins they've got and who's watching the the admin feed. So uh, yeah. Alrighty. Well, I think I'll play uh, this. This is Daphne Ashbrook, and you are listening to Cultum Collective podcast. Did we play that one already? Yep. <laughs> oh well. Then maybe I'll play another one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? Well, actually, um, one thing that we didn't play was uh, this. If you enjoy listening, why not join the collective and participate yourself? We're on TalkShoe. Call ID 54821. Call in on 724-444-7444. This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a SIP client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly via the shoe phone client if you have TalkShoe Live installed. Looking forward to hearing you. <laughs> yes, two hours late. But hey, who's counting? 
Hi, I'm Rachel Bloom, and you're listening to the Cult Dumb Collective Podcast. There you go. Hey. <laughs> and uh, there's a couple of uh, things going on. I mean, uh, like we said at the beginning, um, the Cult Dumb Collective is five years old. Um, the, the maturity shows. <laughs> uh, also, um, it's been ten years. Since they started filming New Who. No, not since it came back on TV, but since they started filming it. Plus, it's 18 years uh, since my wife said that she would marry me. Hey! <laughs> yep, it's our 18th wedding anniversary. So, I, yeah, I knew I picked uh, picked the date well, even though you know it was before Doctor Who started, and knew it was good day. <laughs> so what we're going to do right now is um, kind of go around the room. Uh, and, and just kind of, I mean, we've revisited various aspects of the show before, and but this is just kind of a look back at the last 10 years of, and uh, where you were uh, when you heard it was coming back, uh, some of your favorite moments over the years, you know, things like that. And if you want to throw in um, your favorite moments from the Colton Collective, that would be cool too. <laughs> so I'm going yeah, to start off by saying that... Um, um, my my brother had had, uh, had told me it was coming back, and I didn't believe a bloody word he said, <laughs> because I think uh, it must have been when they were doing the uh, the Stephen Moffat uh, comic release special. Uh, oh, what's it called, Mike? Help me out here. There's a fatal death. Yeah, that's it. Um, he had told me that he he was living in the same building as um, oh can't remember anybody's name at the moment. <laughs> oh, come back to me. I'll have a story then. Um, God damn it! But anyway, he had basically heard that uh, um, there was going to be more Doctor Who, and basically that's what he was referring to, although he didn't know it at the time. And so I had I had assumed that it was you know that was coming back. Yeah, that was coming back, and it didn't, never happened until I saw the, the, the I think, the VHS release of uh, Curse of Fatal Death. Um, and uh, then I kind of, you know, realized that's what he was talking about. But uh, So I never quite believed my brother until it came back. And, uh, and uh, we've had uh, Toby Haydock on the show before, and one thing that... Uh, uh, I'm reminded of every time I listen to uh, Mossad, my Doctor Who scarf, is uh, the point at which his son's old enough to watch Doctor Who. The Doctor Who was coming back, and uh, his wife was under the impression that he was vetting the episodes in case they were too scary for his son to watch. Um, and <laughs> because that's exactly what I did, although I didn't vet them to make sure that they were uh, uh, they were too scary or not. Uh, it's just I didn't want him. Interrupting me watching Doctor Who, <laughs> something that I still kind of uh, wish I was doing now. But now that the whole family's hooked on it, everybody wants to watch it when it's on. So, fucker, <laughs> Dave, save me from floundering. Well, let me just uh, mention what uh, Roberts put in text about the until Rose was uh, leaked um, uh, on the eighth of March. Uh, uh, Reuters reported that a copy of the episode had been leaked onto the internet. Uh, so, of course, we're not talking about when it was first muted, mooted, or whatever the word is, but this was the it was the 18th of July 
when it was actually uh, they started the first filming. And um, one of the most thing, eh? What? Huh? Uh, and one of the things that I liked about it was uh, the new theme. I'll just play a little bit of that. The new theme as was. I'll stop it there. And of course, you really knew it was Doctor Who when you heard uh, the new Doctor, Christopher Eccleston, say to Rose, run. Basically, run. Uh, of course, uh, not before Graham Norton had stuck his little nose in and uh, gate crashed the party. Um, because in the UK, when it was broadcast, um, that was on the 26th of March, uh, there was an accidental mixing of the, the sound from... Uh, uh, Graham Norton, I think it had been Strictly Dance Fever or something that was... Strictly, uh, strictly Come Dancing, yeah, that was was on. But I was really pleased to have it back. Uh, the casting of Christopher Eccleston was fantastic. The main thing I remember being upset about is it seemed as though... I'm not even sure the first episode had aired uh, when we already found out that he was leaving the role as the Doctor. Uh, it was very shortly after. Somebody with a better memory than me, I'm sure, will be able to say the, the sequence in which those things took place. But uh, I'm saying we can't, you know, that that was bad. But I realise, of course, snagging somebody like Christopher Eccleston, uh, uh, you needed a big name to actually get the funding, get it in place, get it sorted. Um, I remember the fact that, as well, really when it first started, we were, we were having quite a bit of background information. can't remember when the confidential started, but they were another really keen element to it. Uh, I remember one of the very early ones where Russell T. Davis was being interviewed in a little cafe and he was he, he was saying that his plan was, you know, that he would it was he was bringing Doctor Who back and he'd bring it back and then it would be here for a few years and then the BBC would probably rest it uh, and then somebody else would perhaps bring it back. I don't think in he, even his wildest dreams, uh, he would have thought of it being virtually uh, on our air all the way from 2005 to 2014, uh, non-stop. And, of course, we've got these 13 episodes projected uh, going forward from August until uh, Christmas. I'm not too sure whether it's 13 and a 14th Christmas special, or it's going to be 13 episodes including special we've got thankfully back to the winter format we're not going to have a split series this year but yeah i'm really excited about uh dot two uh took me a little bit of used to getting used to um christopher eccles portrayal you know he divested himself of all the uh you know fluffery and what have you there he was as a you know a, a, as people have often said, uh, looked like a, a submarine commander or something uh, in his leather jacket and so on. But nonetheless, uh, uh, the the gravity and the way that he talked and the early conversations with the, with the, the character of Rose, I thought were brilliant. Uh, I was slightly disturbed, I think, watching the first one thinking, you know, uh, we're... we're they're going to do this as the Rose's, Rose's Adventures with the Doctor. But of course, as other people perhaps say, 
that was the way to draw us into the adventure. You know, an ordinary girl on an ordinary estate. I mean, there no airs and graces about her. She was a shop assistant, bored with her life, bored with her boyfriend, uh, wondering whether there was anything more out there. And little did she know uh, that that would come knocking at her door. So those are my first thoughts, Ian. All right, and um, yeah, just to clarify my previous stumbling, my brother apparently, I, I never believe much that my brother says, uh, was living in the same building as Elizabeth Hurley. And they had shared an elevator, and she had said that uh, Hugh Grant was to play the doctor. And so, yeah, but I believe that that's what, the, that's what it ended up being, is Curse of the Fatal Death. Curse of the Fatal Death, sorry. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that's 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 my little story. See, it wasn't worth waiting for, was it? <laughs> uh, uh, well, perhaps we ought to hear from Mike. You know, when he used to watch Doctor Who, yeah, and when he was Doctor excited Who. about it. <laughs> Mike, well, this is this is the thing about Doc, my connection to Doctor Who is that I watched Doctor Who when I was a kid, when I was about four or five. Oh God! CBS affiliate. That's right. Make showed. it all feel old. No, yeah. no, I'm leading into it here. I'm leading into it here. I'm, <laughs> Because one of the local PBS affiliates showed showed Doctor Who on Saturday evenings, and I used to watch it all the time, like every every Saturday night when it was on. But of course, as PBS affiliates here in America went, they stopped showing it in the early '90s, so I forgot about Doctor Who. And it wasn't. And I briefly had a. I briefly remembered Doctor Who in '96 when the movie aired. I watched that, but you know, quickly forgot about it because it didn't lead anywhere. So when I didn't hear about Doctor Who, see, in BBC you had, and over in the UK, BBC One aired Rose in March of 2005. It wasn't until, well, April, March or April, April I think it was, it wasn't until almost a year later in March of 2006 that Sci-Fi Channel here in the States premiered Doctor Who with a double billing of Rose and The End of the World, those two episodes on the same, on the same night. So it was... 2006 when I saw that that was that that was airing and my mom was a fan of Doctor Who and she remembered it and I I slightly remembered oh hey that was that show that I watched as a kid so I didn't pay attention to any of the build-up news any of the news leading up to it any of the uh, like press releases about oh filming started or uh, the casting announcements or anything I found out about it when the series premiered on sci-fi channel and I started watching the show and through the Eccleston series I remembered all of these elements of Doctor Who. I remembered what the Doctor was. I remembered what the Time Lords were. I remembered what the Daleks were were, and what Gallifrey was. I started remembering all of this about the show, the time travel, space travel, etc. So, you know, the Eccleston series is important to me because it's what brought me back into the show. It's what made me a fan of the show again. That's one reason, you know, Eccleston's Doctor is so important to me. And you know, it's, it's, as this 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 anniversary that we have, the ten years since principal filming began on Eccleston's first episode, uh, sorry, it's 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 a it's a neat moment because it's it's it shows how far how far we've come. We've had you know it's we've had Eccleston series, we've had da- uh, da- uh, David Tennant's run as the Doctor, and now we've had Matt Smith's run as the Doctor, and we're about to start with a with a new actor in the role. So. It's it's an it's an important moment in the in the history of the show. Awesome. Yes, thank. Yep. Kenny. Yes. Oh 
God, I love Doctor Who, and I was so sad when it went off. Um, those kind of dark, horrible days with uh, Colin Baker and Sylvester being, uh, you know, treated horribly, uh, not knowing if they're going to have a show or not, or Colin wanting to do the show forever and ever and ever, and then being ousted, and Sylvester giving his all into it, and the the show uh, walking into the sunset, literally, you know, as it was. And Doctor Who kind of died, except in the press, or, you know, lived strong in, in, in print media, and in Doctor Who Monthly, and then we had the thrill, I thought at the time, the thrill of the TV movie, and then it went kind of kerplunk. It was like, okay, that was nice, but it's never going to get another chance, and we're not going to have Doctor Who, and I was having some bad health, and that's when I heard Doctor Who was coming back, and I was coming back, and so was Doctor Who, so that made me feel really good. Um, I'm so glad the TV movie didn't take off. I really am. Because I don't think that whatever they would have planned would have been anything near to what RTD, etc. have given us. I think the textures of character, of of romance, of linking the old with the new, it, it wouldn't. It wouldn't have been. I I love Paul McGann. I think it, it's 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 a good link to it, you know, in in what he did in the TV movie and hooray for him for him coming back. But um, you know, right right away, Christopher Eccleston, the totally different attitude in the in the leather jacket, that that wonderful grin of his, uh, the almost non-existent hair. The, the 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 darkness mixed mixed with that charm, uh, how sexy and sweet Billy Piper was as Rose, and really being able to get into the character of a companion that we that we rarely rarely saw anything about their back life. Well, we did we didn't see anything about their back life. We'll put it that way. We'll put it that way. There, there was nothing about a companion's back life. Um, with Rose, we're, we're dug into family right away. And you could almost you know, call the, the series, you know, Rose and the Doctor, rather than uh, Doctor Indeed. Who. Indeed, yeah. Because that's, that's, that's what it was. And those two years are her story arc, her life, her life with the Doctor, uh, Good, ill, and good, and it's it it it, it was just beautiful. Um, um, interesting that I mean I didn't know that much about Eccleston as an actor before Doctor Who. I actually had known the other actors before I saw them in Who, but I I did see him in, in Elizabeth as the Duke of Norfolk. I thought he was just amazing in that, so I linked that, and and he is he is really a rat bastard in that movie. So it's totally different. Interesting analogy that it's been 10 years. And last week on HBO, that man had a tour de force in an hour playing every emotion in the world, probably a higher ratings than he's he's gotten on anything before in what they, what they had on HBO last week with um, The Leftovers. 
and he's, he's got a major part in that show. So that's kind of interesting in it. And he he's uh, still making a push into American audiences. But I'll just I'll just talk about uh, Eccleston there. Uh, how how wonderful he was. How sad I was that he was only sticking around for one year. But it benefited the show to the new fans to see what the show was all about because what a shock that was to see him go and what a great regeneration and that whole speech and with, again with that grin that's fantastic and so you were fantastic and, and so was I this is Rose but his Dalek might be maybe the best Dalek episode ever being maybe my top five and as was said, it's an episode with one Dalek and all that emotion and all all that subtext with the doctor looking into they talked about darkness earlier, the true darkness of his soul. Uh how, how good that was. And uh Doctor Dances. Oh such a great, great episode. And uh Father's Day. Never cried that much in Doctor Who before. That that's the thing that uh, Eccles, Eccleston gave us, and RTD gave us that that emotion that just grabs your heart. Uh, you know, that great story and and just making it unforgettable. You can watch those episodes over again, again, and again. And, and, well, and let's just remind ourselves a little bit of Dalek, and it looks as though Jeff is the uh, surfaced at the moment. I come to help. I'm the doctor. Wow, goodness. 
enjoy the audio from that on its own. Mm. Um, I don't want to go into everyone. That that's about it. But you know, hats off to Christopher Eccleston. He brought the Doctor back beautifully. Um, we wouldn't have the show without him. They chose beautifully in casting him. And uh, hooray for the ninth Doctor. And uh, happy anniversary to Doctor Who. And happy anniversary to Cultum. Hooray. <laughs> hooray. Okay, let's go on. Unable to join us as there is too much background noise where he's at. Okay. Darth, then, please, if you would. Oh, um... Hmm. Uh, well, let's clear up a little point that you asked about first, Dave, and that is the timing of the resignation. Uh, so right. the series dates from the 26th of March, 2005, when Rose was broadcast. And then by, I think it's Wednesday of that week, the la- last day of March is when the announcement happened. So in, in between the broadcast of episode one and two. So Basically, Britain got to have a few days of thinking, wow, okay, this guy's going to be around for a while, and then <laughs> immediately knowing that wasn't to be the case. Um, the, I, you know, the, I have a lot of memories of that first season in that um, it was kind of a really sort of special time um, in, in that I had known about it coming back from oh I would have thought 2003 um, when the first announcement sort of happened in Duck 2 magazine um, but um, because of the very weird way in which the, the broadcast happened in North America and because of the way in which DVDs were the release dates were linked to whatever deal they could put together for broadcast television. Um, I, I don't know if anybody in North America remembers this, but if, if you were trying to be good, right, not download the thing in some sort of extra-legal fashion, not that that happens, of course, but, you know, whatever, um, and you were trying trying to get it as early as possible, the only way that you could do it was to go to Amazon.ca, Right, so Canadian Amazon, and you could do pre-order in. Um, God, I think it was roughly the time that uh, this show was actually being broadcast in Britain for a delivery date of essentially Valentine's Day, two thousand and six. So you're waiting until February, right? The other thing that was, I mean, the nut itself was a bit excruciating. Um, but at the same time, Doctor Who at that point was in no way, you know, a part of my life in a big way, really. It was just, you know, I, what was more exciting at that time was, you know, Battlestar Galactica's return, how interesting those storylines were. Um, I, I, I was contenting myself with, um, you know, the the excellence of Smallville at that time, because we're still in sort of the what most people consider to be the good years of Smallville. So you had, you know, television viewing was Smallville and and Battlestar Galactica 
with a good dose of, you know, situation comedies thrown in, and I was done. I was fine. That's all I had time for anyway. Um, but it was still this thing that was sort of ticking over in the back. Oh, and the, uh, but, of course, by far, the biggest thing that was going on with me at the time was Star Wars fandom, because, so, you know, this was a really active period of Star Wars fandom. Um, and so it wasn't, especially in 2005 when the series launched, yeah, I was a little bit, you know, bummed that it was going to take so long to get it in America. But... I mean, 2005 was when episode three came out, and that was by far more important, you know, than anything. Um, so, it, it, even though there was an inconvenience of time, it didn't really go that far. Plus, I, I didn't have high hopes. I mean, I was very much soured on the McCoy years. They drove me absolutely insane and so i just was like you know if they if they manage to make something out of this maybe it'll be good maybe it won't the only thing that made me a little bit excited in 2005 it might have been late 2004 was seeing eccleston in costume oh actually the casting was interesting to me that it was eccleston i was like oh that because i knew who he was and i was like oh that might be okay and then to see the the costume i was like oh this is maybe really going to be interesting because they weren't trying to do what they did with McGann and go back to, you know, sort of Victorian or Edwardian era of stuff. Um, so um, I was just like, you know, it'll be nice if it happens. It'll be, it could be good. It looks like it might be good, but it's so far away from anything I'm going to be able to see. There was no point in getting terribly upset or excited or anything. I think the only thing I did in 2004, as I recall, uh, was that was about the time that I said, okay, I guess I'm finally going to watch the Pertwee era because I didn't, had never really seen that. So that was a year where I was buying some stuff off of um, eBay and uh, Amazon, you know, old videotapes of the Pertwee era. And I think that might have been the year. Did I was I brave enough to try to watch McCoy that time? I don't know. Probably not. Um, but I was. I do remember another thing that happened in two thousand four, and that was I finally tried to figure out because I didn't know what had happened. I tried to figure out what had happened to the Sixth Doctor. I, I remember very clearly before I watched the Ninth Doctor. I finally. I got I got time in the Ronnie. I know I bought time in the Ronnie that year, and I know that I bought the the box the VHS box set of Trial of the Time Lord. And I was like, somewhere in here is going to be an answer. Somewhere in here, I'm going to figure out how we got from the one to the other because I didn't I didn't really remember it. Um, I had seen you know Time in the Ronnie one was pretty much the last episode of Doctor Who that I had seen. Um, before the TV movie, because I just completely gave up after I saw uh, McCoy. But I, d I didn't at all recall that there was that that prelude sequence um, before the pre-title sequence, where you know you get the hit on the head or whatever the hell happened. Um, so to me, it had just gone, oh, here's here's a doctor in a regenerative crisis. But then the last thing was there was this other guy with this multicolored coat, and what the hell happened to him? I didn't know. So I know I figured out in that time. So I guess it was a slight reopening of the the doors of Doctor Who, but only very slight, only very casually, only because I, 
you know, on a whim one night said, ah, let's see what the hell happens here. And, you know, when I got the tapes, I was basically, the only thing I got from them was, okay, I know what sort of happened. And then I think, you know, to be honest with you, I think that was the first year where I understood that there had been a strike. I mean, a, that it had gone on hiatus and that there was this whole, oh, no, 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 that was the time where I figured out that Colin Baker had been fired and that it made more sense to me now why there there was this abrupt change of whatever. So it was, you know, 2004 really wasn't about the new series. It was about sort of learning a few things about the old series. And then um, there was this, I, I distinctly remember this. We got to about February the 1st or somewhere in that range in 2006, right? Really a long time. Oh, I know what else it was. It was also that um, I, at, at some point I caved. And uh, I found a way to watch the Christmas Invasion first. So my first story of the new series was actually the Christmas Invasion. Because I was just like, this is, you know, at some point in that year, you know, the the fun of waiting for Star Wars and then talking about Star Wars after it came the, had passed. I think at some point in there, probably, this makes sense, the Smallville Christmas break happened. Uh, there wasn't anything coming from Battlestar Galactica. And so there was this dead period at Christmas time. And I was like, all right, looks like there's some new Doctor Who here. Uh, I know that the new, this is the new guy. Because, you know, before I even cracked open Series 1, he was gone, right? So yeah. I, uh, I, uh, I watched the Christmas Invasion first. And, of course, the great thing about Christmas Invasion is it doesn't give you anything about Eccleston. Not one thing. Uh, so you just go straight in and you see that there's a new doctor. So it, it actually acted for me like an introduction to the new series. And I was like, oh, this is great. This is fantastic. Um, I was completely sold on the way – I love the way that RCD wrote that episode so that you know you, you don't see – Tenant until the very end, and then when you do, all of a sudden he's making modern references. There's a reference to the Lion King. There's a reference to uh, you know lots of different. I mean, the people in it seem to be modern and real. You know, and that's your introduction or my introduction to Mickey, which is not a bad introduction of Mickey. Certainly, it's not the Rose introduction of Mickey. Um, and you, know, you don't really understand what Jackie's all about, but she seems to be at that point quite a capable mother doing whatever she could do. But you could also sort of see maybe she's a comedy element in it. But just to have such extraordinary things in there, like you know, the doctor in a council flat in a bed, like a really ordinary situation. And to also have some mildly surprising things of like the Christmas tree spinning around and becoming a villain, have a Christmas Santa being a villain. I was like, oh, I get where they're going. They're pitching it, you know, out to sort of Avengers land, really, you know, where, you know, it's like Britain, but it's not really Britain. It's sort of a heightened reality. And I was like, I, I, I can totally deal with that. Um, but then when he wakes up, it's just like extraordinary. I mean, his acting was extraordinary. It was just, like, this is a, the kind of doctor, um, especially making references to being sexy. I just love that. I was all over. I was like, this is exactly the kind of doctor that I always thought Tom Baker was, but he really actually wasn't. But this is real dude. I mean, this is now, 
if you take Tom Baker and you distill it and you make it more human slightly, this is what you get, and it's just fabulous. So I was like, oh, that's great. But then, you know, after that was over, I was like, well, I haven't seen the first Doctor yet, or the ninth Doctor, whatever. I haven't seen his predecessor. And I was a little bit, um, you know, curious about what the hell that was all going to be about and if it was going to be any good and, you know, if it was good, why did he leave so quickly? Because that was never adequately explained or at least something I wasn't able to find in America at the time. So to have him, uh, to to have that thing finally arrive, and, and the thing is in February of that year, there was this wobble where the date that Sci-Fi Channel was going to start the series got pushed back. I think it was going to be in February, and that's why the Region 1 release was in February, or maybe it was in March, and you were getting it a little bit earlier from Canada, uh, because they showed it a little bit earlier. But then when uh, you know the release date approached, they suddenly said, oh, no, it's going to be July. And I was like, well, so does this mean we're going to have to wait until July to get this thing? And... Finally, it came through that, no, in fact, it was going to go out when it was going to go out. And I was really glad that Canada was able to just say, you know what, we've planned for this. You know, we put money into this. That is to say the CBC had put money into it. So, therefore, we are going to control the North American release date for Doctor Who. And the thing showed up a day earlier than it was supposed to have showed up um, in kind of a precursor for what happened, I guess, in two thousand. Uh, 13 for the Series 7 release. But um, it showed up, and I, I just gobbled it down. I mean, it was really, it was basically one sitting. 13 episodes, 13 hours, day off, crack it open, done. And um, it was, I could not get enough of it. I was like, even though I had seen Tenet first, I was like, actually, this guy might be better. But who knows, because you've only seen one episode of the other guy. But he was just fabulous, absolutely incredible. And so when it came to the point where he died, I was I was actually broken up by that. And I still to this day think that nobody's really gotten it quite as well as Eccleston did because Eccleston was playing completely against the type. So I, I just, you know, I, I don't really have any memories of the you know, period we're talking about, because we're really talking about 2004. Oh, I, I guess I remember listening very early to... No, that's really more 2006. I was going to say listening to the uh, Podjack thing and being kind of bemused by all that. But um, I guess that was much later. Uh, really, nothing that much, you know, for the... It's hard. I mean, I know that this is the tenth anniversary, the real tenth anniversary of the show, but it. I didn't follow it enough. I didn't care enough at that point to um, really mark that much from Doctor Who. And I, I suppose for me, the the tenth anniversary will probably always be more or less Christmas of 2015, more than now. All right. Yeah, there's, there's lots of things. I mean, we, I don't really want to talk about all the doctors, and I know Ian's probably got a pressure of time now, but um, thanks for that. Um, um, that's, I think, pretty much everybody uh, that has audio and is able to talk uh, can do. I mean, there's so much. One of the things 
I'd mention as well, and I won't play a clip, but is that when we found out that they, that they were not completely disavowing, you know, classic Who, uh, for instance, when we, we get something like School Reunion and we have a, you know, a classic companion coming to New Who and you, you know, that they're not sort of, you know, just ejecting all that stuff. Um, obviously, enough time had elapsed by the time the School Reunion episode happened that, um, that they could do that. But, um, uh, yeah, just for Eccleston, really, we owe him a great debt. I, thank you for clarifying that announcement. That it was between the first and second episode. I certainly remember talking with my brother-in-law, and we were both cheesed off about this, because you almost didn't want to invest in it, because you thought, well, if this act... Of course, we hadn't realised, or I hadn't realised at that point, as, as, as other people have said, you know, uh, this was... Um, put forward in 2003 he's been actually acting the part you know since 2004 so we think he's no sooner in the job and he's out of the job but of course uh, there was lots of talk about how hard he'd been worked and and creative differences and all the different things that are mentioned but um, and I do think a large part as well and I can't remember again when they started, but the, you know the fact that we have things like these confidentials, and there was um there was a, a children's program as well, um, strictly Doctor Who or something like that 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 came on. Totally there. Doctor Who. Totally but, there. But that's 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 quite a bit later. That's the, for was it later? Two. Yeah, that, right. that was never in the Eccleston era. That was just at the start of season two, and it ran, I guess, for those next two years. It stopped after Martha left. Right, thanks for that. Okay, I'm going to hand back to Ian because Ian um, is the one with the time constraint. Um, There has been quite a bit going on in text. I mean, Jeff's been saying some fabulous things about the Colton Collective, uh, but I won't read them all out. It's just too embarrassing. But um, I'll hand back to uh, Ian. All right. Thank you very much, Dave. Uh, And thank you, everybody, for all those kind things you've been saying in the chat about how, um, you know, you guys hang on to every word, and and how this is the only podcast you listen to, and <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's great, um, really good. Hang on, sorry, right. Ian, stop. I, I've run out of money. I can't. I've got no money to pay him. I have to stop oh, saying that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, but we love you, Dave, and you still have a credit card. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Ooh. oh, what did I say? Ooh. <laughs> Uh, yes, that's the only unfortunate thing, of course, about having uh, Colton's anniversary on the same day as my 18th anniversary is I've got to get going because <laughs> I don't want this to be my last wedding anniversary. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, um, thank you all for joining us. It's been a, a fun show, um, kind of a little more looser than, 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 than most of our shows. So if you like this kind of loose chat, then... Let us know and give us some topics and maybe uh whoa, excuse me, dropping the cans everywhere. And maybe ten years from now we'll we'll, we'll uh, still be going. And maybe Dave will still yep. be alive. I'll be here in spirit. <laughs> He's gonna haunt me forever in other words. <laughs> uh just got time for for um one more of these. Hello, my name's Toby Haydoke, and you're listening to the Cultum Collective Podcast. There you go. Now, do you, do you say you had a little advert to play out, or are you going to leave that to next week? Or will um, that be too late? Yeah. Um, no, I'll, I, I think I can... I'll, uh, I will... Um, 
I'll play the outro and then I'll play the advert if I can if I can find them. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thank you all and um, join us here next week for for the continuation of the Colton Collective podcast. Until then, it's goodbye from Mr. Dave AC. And it's goodbye from Ian, the Sixth Doctor. Bye, everybody. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Vern with SciFried, Nerdy FM, and the Orlando NerdFest. I'm here today to tell you all about our festival. The Orlando NerdFest is an unprecedented unification of the nerd community in and around Orlando to further the exposure of the nerd music genre. It all begins August 7th with our NerdCore Showcase featuring Scrub Club's Monster Set. We'll have free entertainment all day from many great nerdy hip-hop masters while you pick up your passes and get checked in. Then on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, the main stages of Orlando NerdFest blow open, and we're featuring Final Fantasy composer Nobu Uematsu and his Earthbound Papas, and Blizzard composer Jason Hayes and Critical Hit. We also have iGeneration superstar MC Lars, Seattle's finest nerd rockers Kirby Crackle, and if you're looking for snarky, geeky sisters, you can enjoy the sweet sounds of the double clicks. The sick passenger Schaefer the Dark Lord is with us, and the space metal opera of Urizen. We have the Megas, MC Oh My, former Fat Boys. From the Fump, we have the great Luke Ski and Devo Spice. DJ Robo Rob, Metroid Metal, 8-Bit Disaster, Descendants of Erdrich, Those Who Fight, Mark with a C, Random Encounter, Sci Fried, My Parents' Favorite Music, Dr. Awkward, Killer Robots, and more to be announced soon. The official fifth day of Orlando NerdFest is the day after show at the Geek Easy inside a comic shop. That will feature Word Burglar, Whitey Cracker, D&D Sluggers, and more of your favorites. All this is taking place August 7th through 11th, 2014. Be sure you like us and follow us on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Orlando NerdFest, and for more information on the event and to keep up with artist announcements, check us out at orlandonerdfest.com where you can get your tickets for the weekend and find out more about the special hotel rates we have for you. It's a five-day celebration of nerd music, and you're going to want to be there. August 7th through the 11th, 2014, in Orlando, Florida, at the Orlando Airport Marriott. We'll see you there. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.